1: Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, the official podcast of your baseball prospectus Mets local site. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and once again with me this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, we have a lot to cover.
2: It was an exciting week in Mets baseball, and by exciting I mean mostly horrifying. Although somehow they like gained like four games <laughs> on the Nationals as all this was happening.
1: There is a apocryphal Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times. As Actually, it's an apocryphal Chinese curse, I should say. It's seen as a curse.
2: There's, a, there's also some stuff about getting what you wish for. Yeah.
1: yeah. So in the first half of the show, we'll talk about the Mets' newest super utility player, maybe, Jose Reyes. We'll talk a little bit about the Mets' arm issues and there's quite a few of them right now and it's not just the Mets bullpen that you had to watch blow up against the Atlanta Braves in the eighth inning today we're recording this on Sunday evening
2: yeah um Antonio Bastardo maybe not so good Logan Verrett maybe not so good <sighs> yeah
1: but more concerning would be the recent elbow issues for both Stephen Matt's and Noah Syndergaard, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk about the Mets' newest everyday left fielder. It's Brandon Nemo, called up from Vegas in a straight swap with Michael Conforto.
2: You said every day, and I'm just waiting for Alejandro Diaz to start playing like three times a week.
1: Every day in uh, quotes, if you didn't. Yes. I guess my tone didn't really convey that in yes. hindsight. In the second half of the show, we'll... Dive in a little bit deeper on the Jose Reyes issue with Emma Spahn, senior editor at Sports Illustrated. And then the third half of the show, we'll answer your emails. Talk a little bit about Hansel Robles, because I want to talk about Hansel Robles, which I guess is a better news story than anything else we're covering. So More positive. More positive, we'll go with.
2: That was, and, that was actually this
1: week. It, it, it was. It, it, it doesn't feel like it, but... Yeah. And I also, this week, spent three days sitting on your 2016 Brooklyn Cyclones. So I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll have some reports on the players going up at BP Mets this week.
2: You got literally the three days before they became interesting.
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Again, may you live in interesting times. But we start out with, you know, what we talked about a little bit with Brian Grosnick last week. I think we kind of suspected it was going to happen then, and then earlier last week...
2: It was starting to be leaked that we went from no interest to, well, maybe we'll take a look when he's a free agent. And then by, like, Tuesday,
1: it felt like, oh, this is going to happen, like, as soon as he's available.
2: We've both been Mets fans long enough to kind of see the signs. Right.
1: Uh, They were softening the ground with the media as they do. Yes. So everybody and their brother could get their 900 words into the back pages about how this isn't a terrible idea.
2: As they also did with Conforto over the past week or week and a half, they went out of their way to say, we're not considering sending him down right now, which then caused everybody to talk about sending him down. And then they sent him down.
1: And we will get to that, but we'll I guess that. we have to address the Jose Reyes thing. And I made what I thought was a like lukewarm take on Twitter.com, because I'm not the firebrand that some of us are in that forum for the most part about how you know um i would have liked nothing more than jose reyes to come back to the mets and be the last piece of the the puzzle for the good teams of recent vintage i discussed it at length with rob castellano on amazing avenue audio over the years i think it's something we both wanted to see Is sort of a a warm fuzzy thing for sure but you know when they let reyes walk in the 2011 offseason the contract he signed was very reasonable at the time and something the mets probably could have matched and chose not to
2: um and a lot of the book baseball maverick is about that decision and their capability to do so and so forth um it's interesting because Reyes has never been as good as he was, and, but he may end up being worth that contract or pretty close to it. Um, I don't know how you judge it when he ends up getting released, but, <laughs> um, according to, and I know this is a- Are you gonna
1: do a dollars for war on this show, Jarrett?
2: I, I just went to fangraphs.com uh...
1: and
2: roughing it. He's been worth about eighty million dollars, or wait, did I miscount? Totally okay, about seventy million dollars since then, and there's still two years left. So I, he has he has for the most part been a productive player, albeit never as good as he was as a Met. And I do think it's important to discuss that because it kind of the, clears up the Mets' thinking on bringing him back a little bit too. Um, And we'll get into that a little bit more with Emma, but, you know, his projections are still pretty decent. He's projected for, you know, uh, I think Pocota projects him to be a slightly above-average hitter. Uh, Steamer projects him to be a slightly below-average hitter. And, you know, the Mets, it's like, you know, the Mets could use another Kelly Johnson, maybe a slightly better Kelly Johnson.
1: I think that's important to state because... I think some of the people that are expressing hesitation over the deal are doing it for baseball reasons as a way to sort of, like, abjure what's really going on.
2: Yeah. Um, Now, to be fair, um, um, I I think this is a really awful idea. I wouldn't come within a mile of Jose Reyes. Um, I am not... Disputing that he has the legal Ability to play baseball I am not disputing that someone Was going to sign him I just didn't want it To be the Mets and it feels Really not Great Um, My personal opinion Is that this is just wrong And the kind of Valedictory parade parading It around is wrong Uh, He has not Shown a lot of accountability for any of this. These statements that he has released have been very um, non-specific, and I mean, probably
1: for legal reasons.
2: Probably for legal reasons, but that also plays into the fact that he was never held legally accountable either. And um, I uh, I wish they didn't do it, but you know, what can you do?
1: Yeah, and it's just like, to sort of take it into a different realm for a second, it's, if you think the, let's look at baseball as art. And so it's something like the art versus the artist conundrum that comes up sometimes. Like, how do you watch Woody Allen films? Like, that's still part and parcel to, who jose reyes is now and i mean if he hits down the stretch and the mets win the division or make the playoffs we all know the stories are going to be written as they've been written about various other athletes over the years as some sort of redemption narrative nothing he does on the look there's a there's a certainly a path back for jose reyes
2: sorry
1: um but uh, if nothing that he does on the baseball field will i mean sort it- of light that path for him
2: it's the Onion article, college basketball stars heroically overcomes tragic rape he committed. You know, that's like – again, Jose Reyes has not been accused of rape. He's been accused of domestic assault. But, but, it,
1: but we look at good sportsing, as it were, yeah. gets conflated with uh, good ethics and good morality all uh, the like, time
2: makes it okay right and again this is not you know you were thinking of woody allen i i immediately thought roman polanski sure polanski too uh, because that's one where it's not really in question um he was convicted it was a fair trial and he fled the country um and you have all kinds of you know he's but he made chinatown so yeah, he made Chinatown and The Pianist and other, you know, and, you know, a lot of people in Hollywood support him. Um, a lot of people go to his movies. A lot of people, you know, participate in his movies. I mean, just for me, it's...
1: You read the account of the events, you can listen to the 911 tape, yeah. and I just don't see, like... It's just not that hard for me to shut off my Jose Reyes fandom.
2: It's just not. It's it's not for me. I mean, I was I was a big Jose Reyes fan. And yeah. We've we've discussed that over the years. You know, I thought um, I was sad when it the trade deadline this year they didn't make a play to bring him back because Colorado was trying to move him. They almost moved. They almost ended up moving them to the Yankees of all teams for Jorge Mateo, which kind of shows that he was. As of the last time he really played, he was considered a pretty valuable baseball player.
1: I mean, Mateo's going to be on our top 50 midseason list. And I'm pretty sure he was...
2: He was not, like a fringe top 100 guy last year. Yeah. So that's a pretty maybe good a little prospect. bit higher. I don't know exactly where we had him ranked, but I can...
1: I do wonder, the- too, if we're somehow kind of... I don't want to say... We, the sabermetric baseball community, I don't know if we want to tar ourselves with that brush, but... <laughs> Are complicit here to a certain extent because Jose Reyes is an undervalued asset, and the sort of the he's a market you know he's a market inefficiency.
2: Well, one of the uh, and this is true in both the baseball draft and the football draft. The joke is always draft the weed guy, always draft the drug guy. Yeah, and you know one of the most famous. Guys, the reason I'm bringing football up is because one Warren of the most Sapp. famous, no, one of the most famous weed guys that fell was Aaron Hernandez.
1: Oh yeah, he I thought you were going to uh, Warren Sapp, but
2: no, and you know Warren Sapp's had some uh, greater than weed issues too. But yeah. you know, sometimes this is, you know, sometimes these really are bad guys. That's it, and there may be something of a you know, toxic masculinity athletics mindset, we're not going to get into that. That's not...
1: That's a whole other podcast. That's
2: not within the scope of this podcast. There may be a reason that there's more bad guys in sports and other things. I don't know. That's way above my pay grade. But there's, you know, a lot of these people are bad people. Um, The Mets have had some bad people.
1: i like had forgotten a lot of this stuff. Matt Callan was tweeting about it, I think, yeah. last night. Like, the some of the David Cohn stuff.
2: Um. You know, Daryl Strawberry, who now comes back for these events and is treated as a conquering hero, beat the crap out of his wife, you know? Um, I, I hesit- you know... This ended up being settled, and it was, you know... Quietly went away. Look at the lawsuit that Leith Castergean filed against the Mets and Jeff Wilpon. That was not that long ago, and it was referring to events that would have happened within the last five years. There were some pretty serious allegations in there. Um, uh, You know, I have seen people comparing this to the Daniel Murphy um, comments from spring 2015... I personally do not find them comparable I understand why others would But as best as I can tell Daniel Murphy is kind of a garden-variety Religious homophobe That doesn't actively harm anything And Jose Reyes so slammed his wife into a glass door And I think there's a pretty big difference between those two
3: <laughs>
1: And again, it could comes down to Daniel Murphy, I know, became a flashpoint for other fan bases when he was going off in the playoffs with a way to sort of get under Mets fan skin, which whatever, hashtag banter and all that. But I do wonder, do you really want, like, I don't think Murph's viewpoints on this thing is particularly out of line with many, many baseball players'
2: viewpoints. I'm not sure that... Jose Reyes is considered to have done a serious thing by many baseball players. Yeah. Which is... I mean,
1: Steven Matz was out at events with him, I think, last uh, offseason, wasn't he? As not?
2: was Juan Ligares, yeah. as were several other Mets. Um There there absolutely have been baseball players on Twitter that have commented on this. Um, Brandon McCarthy is one of them. Um, I don't remember who else offhand, but there was, there was a discussion amongst baseball players and baseball players, significant others that was started by Aaron Dolan, who is absolutely fantastic. And if you don't follow Aaron Dolan, you should, um, who, who is the girlfriend of Sean Doolittle, the reliever for the A's. Um, and there were a lot of baseball related people that were just like, fuck this dude. I don't want anything to do with him." but, those are the ones that are speaking out,
1: right? There's probably a silent majority, so to
2: speak. Sure, and you can kind of see that from some of the comments that have come out of the Mets clubhouse, most loudly and most notably Terry Collins. Um,
1: I, I like. I get. I get wanting to believe that this is horribly out of character for Reyes, or it was a one-time thing.
2: I, I um, I. Wrote a piece on this, which I am not publishing, but in doing so, I looked up some statistics on this. Um, the rearrest rate for arrested people that are arrested of domestic violence, which Jose Reyes was, is between 40 and 60 percent within the first couple of years. Um, only about 60 percent of domestic violence um incidents are actually reported to the police and that number is high, if anything. And over three quarters of women who have been uh abused by their partner have have had their partner arrested for abuse. Over three quarters of them said that was not the first time. Uh, again, I these are statistics. Um that doesn't mean that Jose that this has no impact on what Jose Reyes did or didn't do.
1: And you could but, argue that it's because he has sort of the support system of Major League Baseball in place and there's mandatory counseling. Sure. He's less likely to be a recidivist here.
2: And as a number of people on Mets Twitter noted, um, his wife did stay with them. There are that... I don't know necessarily means as much as people would like it to mean. Um, Maggie Wigan discussed that at great length on Twitter. Um, and I believe she's planning on writing something about this at some point, um, that there are plenty of reasons that women stay with their abusers that have nothing to do with forgiving them. Um, I may share some links about that at some point. It, it's, these are very difficult issues. Um, these are difficult issues to talk about. Um, I, I just, um, Kate Feldman, who has been on our podcast, uh, before and will be on our podcast again and is a friend of both of ours, uh, wrote a very good article for amazing Avenue, um, before the, before Reyes was signed. Um, that echoed a lot of the thoughts that I have. Um, Our editor-in-chief, Brian Grosnick wrote a pretty good article for BP Mets that you can also look at. And I think both of those articles kind of generally reflect Jeff and I's views.
1: And look, I don't want to tell you how to be a fan. That's really not my intention here. I just want this issue to get looked at more seriously than it is beyond the sort of base emotion of Jose Reyes can help the Mets win some baseball games, and I feel better when the Mets win baseball games.
2: But there, I think a lot of the Jose Reyes support is specific to it being Jose Reyes, which right. means you're this, already bringing your personal emotion into it.
1: Sure. And look, because, I get that. Like, there was the image uh, tweeted out by the Cyclones of, like, Edgardo Alfonso hitting him infield. And, like, two years ago, I would be so fucking psyched about that. Like, when that we would just beat, be, like, the um, greatest thing ever. But— like I said, it's it's really not hard to give that up now.
2: When we did our um, list of best David Wright moments, um, which I believe was last week. It was, yes. That seems like more than a week ago. <laughs> um, I would have thought about including the David Wright and Jose Reyes celebration on the field. Um, the famous one where they had the cigars and drenched all the fans and all that stuff in 2006. And I specifically didn't include it because like the Jose Reyes memory is just like totally tainted for me now. When we did our least favorite Mets um, a a few more episodes ago, you had to specifically disqualify Jose Reyes for me because I would have put him number one, but it wasn't it didn't have anything to do with anything he did as a Met.
1: Well, if you want to revise it now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, might be number one next time. It's I don't know.
1: It's just... Like I said, I don't... I don't know Jose Reyes personally. I don't know what the... How much due diligence the Mets did.
2: How much can you do?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't...
2: I mean, they, you know, they sat him down and looked him in the eye. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's like it's like I don't want to... I Like I said, I don't want to say there's no road back for him. There's no chance to redeem himself there certainly is just it hasn't nothing he's done so far has indicated that to me and nothing he does on the baseball field is going to change that
2: if jose reyes had decided to donate the remaining 30 million dollars of his salary to help victims of domestic violence if jose reyes had been out there Fundraising for you know domestic violence issues, if he had you know partnered up with Joe Tory for you know the safe at home Foundation stuff, if he had become a forceful advocate for any of this stuff, he released one vague kind of mealy mouth statement and keeps referring back to it he hasn't even you know he hasn't even faced the media since any of this happened,
1: and I imagine that will happen at some point because it's
2: you know there's there is not. You know, when people say served his time and contrition, I don't see that. And, and that like, that's just my perspective.
1: And, like, so, yeah, he's gone through the MLB mandated counseling. He's still in counseling. Those are all good things. But, I mean, at no point was he really ever out in front of this. It wasn't really an active effort. It's, like, this is what he needs to do to keep playing baseball.
2: Yeah, there's no... Um, I'm going to, you know, Michael Vick was not domestic violence. He was, um, he ended up in jail for violence against animals and he became a pretty forceful advocate for animal rights stuff after he got out. Um, Part of that may have been to continue playing. I don't know. Um, But part of it may have been image rehab for all I know. That's kind of the model, you know, Jose Reyes is, you know, it's it's just, it's it's going to be weird, like, the next time, like, they do, like, the pink bat stuff. Like, does Jose Reyes get a pink bat? You know, like, it's just, there's just, like, so much of this that feels weird and wrong. And...
1: I mean, he's going to be up in a week to ten days, probably leading off. And I haven't looked at the schedule to see it, if they're at Citi Field or not, but the first time they're at Citi Field, they're... Everybody's going to do the Jose Jose chant, and I I I, have...
2: I I brought this up, but ironically, there's a pretty good chance that one of the first games he's going to have at home is going to be the BP Mets event.
1: Oh yeah, you didn't mention that to me.
2: Um, the next the next home stand starts on the thirtieth and goes for like ten games, so he's going to come back during that home stand. Yeah. Um. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I guess that's kind of where we leave off and we'll talk about it a little more with Emma later, but you know, a lot of this we just don't know what to say.
1: Well, in happier news, the Mets Young pitching is, uh, having a little bit of elbow issues.
2: Uh, so. I'm much more concerned about Steven Madsen than with Syndergaard. It is weird
1: how quickly that like changed in the last 72 hours because you hear that Syndergaard left his start with some elbow tightness. It's an MRI and you see mild bicep tendonitis, which can be a precursor to UCL issues. And he's a guy that's had, look, he's had, he's, his elbow has been well imaged over the last 18 months.
2: But part of that is that he is a guy that reports everything. Right. Which is good because you want that. That sometimes leads to the label soft, but you also don't tend to tell the six foot six, 260 <laughs> pound come at me guy that he's soft. Right. And every
1: single time they've photographed his arm, the UCL has been intact. And it sounds and, like he's going to make his scheduled start on uh, Monday.
2: And that's, you know. It was, not, there was
1: that moment, too, though, when he got lifted, and you kind of look at his line, where he was getting mm-hmm. hit around a little bit, and you think back to Matt Harvey's last start, I think it was against Detroit.
2: Yeah, um, and I I did not watch that start um, live, but I did see some video after, and he wasn't, like, he was getting, like, just short of full extension, which yeah. is kind of something you don't like to see, and the arm slot was dropping a little bit, which is something you don't like to see, but, and he was... You know, this is going to sound weird. He was only topping out at ninety eight; he wasn't <laughs> topping out at like one hundred and one. So, I, you know, I assume he's fine. I but at the
1: at the same time, you assume he's okay to continue pitching. They don't seem sure. particularly concerned. But at the same time, as these things start to add up, it becomes more likely it's going to blow at some point.
2: Outside of Clayton Kershaw, is there anyone that you would consider unlikely to blow at some point?
1: I guess that's...
2: I mean, R.A. Dickey? Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's
2: just like easy joke. Yeah. Um, Bartolo Colon, I guess. Although Bartolo Colon had years and years of horrible arm problems.
1: Right. Um, And then Matt, who is taking his regular turn and just seems to complain about elbow tightness after every start, all of a sudden looks like a guy that... Might be headed on the, headed to the shelf fairly soon.
2: He was also videotaped, you know, <laughs> attempting to get his elbow loose in the dugout. That is, nobody really seemed to care. Yeah, you see some After stuff which, like that. After which yeah. he gave up like six runs in the next inning.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of stuff we're just like, oh, yeah, that's not good.
2: Yeah, it's like, if you want visual cues, that's not good. Shaking out the wrist and hand is, like, really not good. I, I you know, um... Mats, as people who are a little more down on him like to know, it, has never pitched anything really close to a full major league season.
1: Our good friend Keith Law might be right about his durability issues, is what you're saying.
2: I, you know, there's... He, he had a hellish rehab from Tommy John. At one he did. I they thought they were going to have to go on for a revision, so... Um, and
1: there were rumors that he was close to retiring, um, before yeah. he popped up in Kingsport in 2010, 2010 yeah.
2: 2011, 2011. So, you know, I don't want to discount that. Sure. Um, he has at times said that he does not throw his slider as much as he would like because it hurts his elbow, <laughs> which isn't great. Yeah. Um,
1: so how do you manage it from here?
2: I mean, so the third guy in this is Zach Wheeler, yes. who was shut down for about a week with what was described as nerve irritation, which is not an uncommon complication at this point in Tommy John recovery. It's a week or two setback; It's not a big deal. Um, but now all of a sudden we may be talking about Zach Wheeler August 1st instead of July 10th because he's, you know... The one week setback pushes back his timetable a decent chunk. So that makes it a little harder to start. You know, the Mets do not have an off day between now and the All Star break. This makes it pretty hard to start skipping starts, to start limiting guys' innings. I mean, their bullpen was dead today. They had nobody, they had Bastardo. Grant, Gilmartin, Robles, and Goodell. That was the bullpen today. It's
1: almost like you should maybe call up an extra arm in that spot, but
2: in what spot?
1: In the spot where you only have four active relievers.
2: Yeah, but they're already one. They're already thirteen pitchers. Oh, yeah, it is kind of crazy. I mean, what are you going to? Who do you send down?
1: I guess Reynolds, who is starting shortstop and hitting second. The
2: Reynolds has been like a semi-regular <laughs> now. Uh. Which is another thing we could get into at some point.
1: Well, I mean, you do have Gil Martin and Barrett up, which I think allows you to use them as long men or drop them in as six starters every once in a while to give people extra days.
2: But at the same time, you're three games behind yeah. and you can't just start punning games.
1: It's a tough spot
2: to be in for sure. Are we at the point where we start talking about trading for a starting pitcher? As crazy as <laughs> that sounds.
1: Well, Cologne recovering from the comebacker as quickly as he did is a huge boon to them in the medium turn, certainly. But, you know. It's like, how soon do you, like, who's that pitcher, though? You need a six starter for, like, two months. You're probably better off. I don't know.
2: I mean, do you just go get, like, Bud Norris? You know, (laughs) aim and aim. You know, they got did. He did
1: look pretty good today pitching against the Met Sunday lineup, granted.
2: You know, like, they need, like, a Yusmero Petit, Carlos Villanueva type that yeah. can just, you know, fill innings. Is Hansel Robles that guy? We're going to talk about that in the third segment. Yeah,
1: but. It might not be the worst idea in the world. If this was 2012, he definitely would be getting a shot in the rotation now, stretched out a little bit. He'd get yeah. the, or he'd at least get, like, the Bobby Parnell. We're pretty sure this dude is a reliever, but we're going to give him some starts anyway.
2: And I, I do want to talk about that in greater depth, so let's hold off.
1: Okay. We can talk about Brandon Nemo, who is in the majors. Michael Conforto <sighs> was optioned the day earlier than he was supposed to be optioned because the Mets... Well, basically because some dude in Wyoming got the story early. <laughs> so the Mets decided to make a roster move based on that.
2: Okay, so on Thursday, I write that the Mets need to figure something out with Michael Conforto. So I'm going to take credit for this.
1: You do have more juice with the front office and the field staff, it seems like. You've gotten <laughs> Terry Collins to start pinch-hitting for his catcher. you got them although a move Although he
2: absolutely about... should have hit for Rene Rivera in the eighth today. Yeah, sure.
1: Um, you got the juice. I tell... You know, I write in the Brandon Nemo call-up that he should really be hitting second against righties and not playing right field, and he's hitting seventh against righties and playing right field. So i got no juice. i got to have you uh, pass this <sighs> stuff along to Terry Collins for me or something.
2: Does... The Sandy no longer have a BP premium subscription. <laughs> um, the uh I mean I I don't so, something what if, had to happen one of one of the things I noted in my column was that Michael Conforto got bad right at the point where they started jerking around his playing time, which was in that on that West Coast May trip where they saw a bunch of lefties in a row and he sat against almost all of them, like he sat for like eight games out of twenty at one point just because Terry refused to start him against the lefty he wouldn't even start him against the lefty when Juan Legarras was somewhere else he wouldn't start him against the lefty when Juan Legaris was hurt. Um, he would always start him against the lefty if it was literally his only option. Eric Campbell got starts over him. Matt Reynolds got a start over him. So, And that was the point at which he became, like, he started hitting like Bartolo Colon instead of Michael Conforto. Now, I have no, you know, correlation does not involve, does not involve causality necessarily, um, especially when you start throwing in a wrist injury. You start throwing in... That in many cases, it was like his third or fourth time around the league, which is when pitchers start to get a book on a guy. It's realistically for him to be as bad as he was. It's probably literally all of these factors. And there's probably just some bad luck involved too. Um, it just something, it
1: just wasn't viable anymore. They had to do something. I think they probably should have DL'd him instead of optioning him because. And I mean, assuming it, he's healthy, he's gonna rake in Vegas,
2: and again and our it's not really friend, gonna tell you anything that's something that our good friend Keith Law did bring up, although Conforto himself appeared conforto interestingly hung around and talked to the media after being optioned, which I like literally can't remember a guy doing like ever um and I thought boy, Davis did, and that
1: was like a big did he? yeah well, again as far as we wanna start conflating you know personal ethics with baseball things
2: oh, man, did the media love that Michael Conforto? approach yes. this. Right. <laughs> talking to the media
1: yeah. is a good way to yeah. get them to praise so, their
2: morals. So Michael Conforto, by talking to the media, avoided having, like, Newsday have to send a stringer to Vegas to get quotes from him. Um, so he indicated that he wanted to go down instead of being uh, given time off. So He's that's, also
1: sort of downplayed the wrist throughout this entire thing.
2: Sure, but the optics of sending a guy down, you know, a week after you gave him a cortisone injection and then didn't give him the cortisone injection time off that you're supposed to, it just looks bad.
1: Right. I want one. Like, I almost want one of those those Twitter auto-generated ditties, "The Tuna Ladona Immobile." That's just like Michael Conforto's hurt. Michael Conforto's hurt. Michael <laughs> I think Conforto's I still, hurt. I, think I still
2: have that on my cell phone. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> like I just. I mean, maybe it's just the league's figured him out, but. From what I've seen, I think the—if not all of it, the wrist is a major contributing factor here. But now we get uh, the—Keith Hernandez can comp him to himself even more because he got sent down (laughs) early in his career. (laughs) Keith was actually talking about that on the broadcast today, of course.
2: Of course he was. And assuming he hits— if Michael Conforto is healthy, he's going to murder the PC. He's going to put up like a 1200 OPS. He's going to be PC. like
1: 340, 450, 700 or something.
2: Yeah, like he's going to kill that league. Um, Brandon Nimmo was killing that league. Eric Campbell kills that league. As I like to bring up occasionally. Um, you know, Daryl Siciliani's killed that league. Like a lot of people have killed that league. So let's talk about Brandon Nimmo, who is.
1: The newest Mets outfielder, and, as you said, was killing vegas and I t- look, I tweeted this out okay, a little bit sarcastically because it's me, but I tweeted out that um you know, does anybody have an idea of what Nimmo's doing differently this year other than it's the p c l because if somebody does, I would love to know, and the p c l doesn't get a lot of coverage, so that's a problem, like I know he's sitting lower in his swing now, but he oh he's a, he's always been a tinkerer. So I don't know if you can really... And
2: the the specific shape of his production in the PCL was like, this is PCL Mirage yeah. production. Like, his BABIP in the PCL was 389.
1: Yeah. And you get a couple extra doubles, and especially a couple extra triples. That's a huge outfield.
2: Yes. Um. Um, and you start... You start adjusting for League and Park, and is he really any better context adjusted than he was last year in the EL? As ridiculous as that sounds, with, you know, 50 points of on base and 150 points of slogging. Um, I mean, I think but, he's closer to that player, certainly.
1: Um, and look, that's fine. Like, as I said in the call up, if he can give you 270, 360, 390 against right handed pitching, and. Play pretty I, good defense in a corner. That's useful to the Mets right now.
2: I, I, I know we're done talking about Reyes, but I want to throw in one thing that David Lennon just tweeted. They had a 2,500-ticket walk-up to today's game. Oh,
1: I'm sure. Yeah. Why do you think he's in Brooklyn? Yeah. Anytime I, Jeff Wilpon is prominently involved in the process.
2: Yeah. Um, so that's... Uh, yeah. Um, so it worked, I guess. Um, anyway, back to Brandon Nimmo. Um. I, so my issue with Nimmo is like what's the carrying tool here?
1: Well it's approach, quote unquote.
2: Okay, yeah. What's the carrying tool here? <laughs>
1: no, that's the thing. It's, it's like, yeah. You know, if I were I think when I wrote him up for the prospect list at B P at the beginning of the season, it was like fifty run, fifty hit, fifty arm.
2: These all some of these might be generous.
1: The run might be a little
2: low, but
1: Yeah, you peep four one five on his first grounders, they haven't gone back and got the other ones. They didn't give me a good camera on the uh, on the double play ball that he beat um, out. But he was like four, he was like four two to four three from me all of last year. So, but approach, he could be he could be finally healthy now too. He's had a lot of lower body injuries.
2: Approach in the major leagues can be a carrying skill when you're Walt Weiss and can foul balls off at will and eventually work your walk or Luis Castillo. Or Luis Castillo or one of those guys. Brandon Nemo has never given any right. indication that he's one of those guys. Or you hit
1: for enough power that Yes. Pitchers I've, will nibble a little bit.
2: Brandon Nemo's career high in home runs is uh he hit ten in the twenty fourteen season, split amongst two levels. Um and he's never he has never displayed the raw power that the Mets hoped that he would grow into when drafting him, which is a little weird given his frame and his, you know, he's a pretty jacked dude,
1: too. Yeah, even last year when he was playing around with his swing still, and I saw him in Binghamton, he was still showing, you know, pretty good pull side power in BP.
2: He just doesn't lift the ball in games very much. Not There's really. A lot of he's very comfortable going
1: the other way. and
2: Yeah. Um, You know, in many ways, this is not a terribly dissimilar uh, hitting profile to Dom Smith. It's like the weirdest comp ever because. It's pretty uh, weird comp. Yeah, because of body and position, and position, and another factor which we probably <laughs> shouldn't mention. Um, but everybody will probably figure that out. They just look a lot different. But there's a lot of you know you know it's left-handed. Not a lot of pull power. A lot of going the other way. Um, right.
1: And when he can play center once or twice a week, you know you get called up to the sure. majors.
2: Sure. And um, Brandon Nemo's generally been a better hitter at the same levels, than Tom Smith has. Um, he is a better athlete than Dom Smith is. He is a more versatile outfielder. Well, I mean Dom Smith's not. He's <laughs> a more versatile fielder than yeah. Dom Smith is. You know, Nimo can theoretically play all three outfield positions. Um, not sure you want him playing center in the majors regularly, although...
1: I, Cespedes with that hip does not look all that rangy right now from what you I know, saw today.
2: I, um, He's going to get
1: some starts in center.
2: I saw Nimmo play center for Bengal last year probably four or five times and i thought he looked pretty decent out there yeah, he I looked fine he
1: i saw him after the acl sprain in like the late summer and it still looked okay
2: yeah um he probably shouldn't be playing right because he can't really throw all that well yeah. but these things happen sure um the Mets are currently playing curtis granderson right, <laughs> right that was like a joke 30, i made in the, like uh, a 30r call but, up as well you know Nimmo is like a 45 or 50 arm it's not And
1: he arm. shouldn't start against lefties in the majors Like we can say, pay whatever about Conforto But there's a very very long Track record of Nimmo struggling With left handed pitching And that's both borne out in the statistics And in my live looks He just does not pick up lefty spin well
2: and I want to I want to um, stipulate beforehand that this is not an argument for Travis Tyrone <laughs> Tyrone call up, but no, the Mets I are, mean once Lagarde is are,
1: healthy, it'll be him, and it might yeah. just be Matt Reynolds in the interim.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Mets not carrying a right-handed hitting backup outfielder right now is kind of curious. Um, I, I think they still hope one
1: Lagarde will be back in the minimum, but you know, I,
2: uh, yeah. but there were some reports today that weren't great yeah. on. That. On uh, Mister Wineries. is, um, I mean, would it shock me if Brandon Nimmo became like you know Seth Smith or something? No, I mean Brandon Nimmo could be Seth Smith. Brandon Nimmo could be better than Seth Smith. He, as we keep stipulating, he does not have a ton of baseball foundation. Not as much as your normal twenty-three-year-old uh, high school. Oh, that's
1: bullshit. I hate I, that argument. There's no high school ball in Wyoming. No scouts are going to high school games in Wyoming. He played the entire showcase circuit.
2: He also played American League. <laughs> <football>. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like is,
1: it, you have to say that like people knew was. he was. He was a consensus have, top 50, even higher than that. Really. I just don't have the, all the lists in front of me, but he was going to go at the end of the first round. And when he showed up in Brooklyn, he was a very polished baseball player for that level.
2: Okay. I just had to say that to, to, to get me out. Yeah, I know. Um, You know, he did, hey, there's some chance that the Vegas numbers are real. Sure, he might be, even if
1: he's just a little bit better than he was in Binghamton last year. If there's a little more power there, there's a little more performance against lefties. Like I said, it's, you know, it's like an OFP 50, likely 45 type. And right now for the Mets, if he can get to that OFP, he's probably should be playing every day.
2: It does put them in kind of a weird spot if he hits and Conforto also hits at A, then what do you do? Yeah. I mean, again, this is the type of problem that you want to have, but at the same time, it could become a problem when you start talking about the development of two of your five best guys under 25 in the system. Which I... Conforto definitely is, and Nimmo probably is, although more by default than anything else. Yeah, sure. cindergard Rosario. I mean, it ends up being like Nimmo versus... Gazelman and Chikini. Yeah, or something like that. Um, is Matt still under 25? Uh, no, he's 25. Okay. Yeah, so it's like cindergard Conforto, Rosario, and then we start arguing. Um, I guess Herrera would have to be in there, too. Yeah, Herrera, and then it's probably their Nimmo or Chiquini or somebody. But, I mean, their anyway.
1: plan for developing Herrera is we're just going to leave to Wilson Herrera in AAA, so it seems like they're not really worried about it.
2: <laughs> and, I mean, Nelson Herrera's not lighting the world on fire down there, either, so...
1: I mean, he's hitting a little bit better than Brandon Nimmo was.
2: I think he's actually down to a little bit worse than Brandon Nimmo. I think Nimmo. it's batting average, though,
1: and like on base percentage. I think he's actually outslugging slugging him.
2: No, Nimmo was out slugging Herrera. Really, I haven't looked
1: at it that recently to sl- be honest.
2: Speaking of slugging, your main man Dom Smith, two games in a row with a home run.
1: I know. I, I think I got it slugging over three eighty. <laughs> I'm
2: not looking this up because you know. Um, yes, two sixty, three nineteen, three eighty eight for yep. Dom Smith. Seven oh seven OPS. He's back above seven hundred.
1: I mean, I have nothing to add to that.
2: This is a good spot to take a break.
1: (laughs) This is a good spot to take a break. Joining the show now, she's a senior editor at Sports Illustrated. And while we'd rather have her on to talk about terrible movies... Or cute dogs. We're gonna have around to talk about Jose Reyes. Emma Spawn, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, how you doing?
1: I'm doing alright. Um like most things that the Mets do that make me angry after a day or so, it just calcifies into some kind of cynical ennui.
4: Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs>
1: and their loss against the uh, Reyes this afternoon didn't help either with that, of course.
4: Right, right. Yeah, I think what's part of this case, you know, separate from Jose Reyes, it's just sort of like the hundredth time we've seen something like this play out in exactly this way, um, sort of step by step. Where you know, everyone's all outraged, but then nothing actually really happens or changes, and you know, everyone gets on with their normal routine. Um, so it's a bit discouraging to think that you know, uh, for all that we, you know, there's a yes, MLB now has this system for suspensions, and yes. Uh, The conversation has changed around domestic violence in some ways. But in other ways, this is basically the exact same story again.
1: (laughs) And I guess to me, there's a way to bring Jose Reyes back into baseball and even back to the Mets that feels less gross and cynical, I guess would be the best way to describe it. And at no point in this process, like even going back a week ago when they were sort of leaking stuff out to soften the ground with columnists, it just felt both inevitable and kind of sleazy the whole time.
4: Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't, you know, I don't think that Jose Reyes should never be allowed to play again or that he should always be off limits forever, or that he never deserves another chance. So I, in that sense, you know, yes, I I can't really begrudge him playing again. But yeah, the way they did it, especially because much like the Yankees with Chapman, you know, the Mets are just sort of taking advantage of this situation to, you know, get a $20 million player for the league minimum, um, yeah. You know, whereas the Yankees got this great closer for a few sort of you know low-regarded prospects, um, and you know maybe these teams feel something more than that, but it just seems like for them it's like, oh, hey, we can you know we can get a steal here. So you know that's that's not a especially encouraging sign. I also think that you can want Jose Reyes back on some level without immediately cheering him, you know, at every at-bat, which is happening right now at the Cyclones game, um, you know, surely there's a middle ground. I mean, to me, you can say someone should be forgiven, but I think it can take more than just a sort of boilerplate statement, which is all we really have so far. Um, maybe Jose Reyes has had a wake-up call, and, you know, maybe his counseling will work, and maybe everything's going to be fine now, but we don't know that, you know. We We have very little to go on here.
2: It, it also, I mean, it's like the whole conquering hero redemption narrative that's kind of being built just feels wrong. Like, I tweeted out that it's just wrong. And there's also, like, the aspect where they're sending them to Brooklyn where they're going to get, like, an extra week of pumped-up gate revenue because that's the minor league team that the team owns. And I, it just feels so gross and not great. I mean, anytime there's a situation like this and your
1: GM is trumpeting that Jeff Volpon was involved in every step of the process. It makes you feel even (laughs) ickier than it might otherwise.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think there's that. And I think it's also, again, it's that broader pattern where, you know, you, you put out one sort of by the numbers statement and everyone bends over backwards to find reasons why, you know, actually he's this great guy and it was just a misunderstanding. And, you know, yeah, you know, everyone deserves another chance, and like I just think it should take a little bit more before we we all, you know, move on to that to that phase. You know, um, it's the I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
1: And I'm sympathetic to the idea that I know there's been a lot of stuff written about this. Uh, it was in the the Times recently, and in people whose opinions I respect on Twitter, saying that you know this isn't maybe the best thing for domestic violence victims to make. Uh, a a dv incident like this sort of the the end of a player's career and i get that but does that really apply here he was guaranteed 38 million dollars no matter whether or not he gets on a field for the next year and a half
4: yeah it's hard it's hard to know because i have expressed some of those feelings myself and i don't necessarily think that never playing again would be good for the victim for the or for the offender's family, but I also can't really speak for domestic violence victims, either in general or for, you know, Jose Reyes's wife in particular. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's tough for me to, to get too certain about any of that. Um, I do think that, you know, part of the for me is that we say, if you ask anybody in sports, you know, is domestic violence acceptable? They would all say, no, it's not acceptable. But our actions you know, kind of over and over again, show that it kind of is, you know. I mean, yes, there's a suspension, but then everything goes back to normal. And even people like me and, like, you guys who aren't comfortable with it, what are we actually going to do, right? I mean, are you going to stop watching the Mets? Because I'm not. uh, I still have to cover them for work, and I'm still going to go to games probably. And, you know, it's just tough because it feels like there aren't really those kind of consequences that would have a real impact. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, I'm outraged over this, but I'm also a partial season ticket holder, and I'm not giving up my tickets, and Jeff and I are doing an event at City Field in a couple of weeks, and we're still doing it, so, you know.
4: And I'm part of, you know, I'm I'm part of that, too. You know, yeah, I'm going to yeah. complain about it on Twitter. My, I might even complain about it on Sports Illustrated's website, which might have a bit more of an impact, but, is, you know. Do the Mets really care about any of that? I I don't think they do.
1: And Mets fans really don't either. Is the one thing I've sort of discovered. There was even going back a week ago, like they're aware of the the PR aspect of it. This is going to end up great PR for them because I yeah. mean the average Mets fan just doesn't care. You know, maybe the average reader of baseball prospectus is a little more aware mm-hmm. of these issues. The listener of this podcast is probably a little more sensitive to these issues. But, like, the average Mets fan just remembers 2005 to 2008 Jose Reyes and sees the team on the field as terrible as it is right now. And he probably makes them better for the rest of the season and even into 2017. And there's something specific to the relationship between Reyes and the Mets fan. Like, if they had brought in a role as Chapman, I think the reaction might have been different.
4: I'm not sure it would because I watched the Yankees fans' reaction to bring in Araldus Chapman, and it was pretty similar. Um, yeah, they don't have that same obviously. Like, yeah, look, I I loved watching Jose Reyes play in his first go with the Mets. He was, you know, a player I always loved watching. I actually talked to him a few times in the locker room. He seemed like a really good guy. You know, what? <laughs> obviously, I know better. You know, as someone who's covered baseball long enough, you never really know someone from talking to them for five minutes in the locker room, but. Anyway, I, the point is I, I get it. Like, I have, I also have great memories of Jose Reyes. But if you watched, you know, Yankee fans and Chapman, you know, yes, there are plenty of fans, like, you know, who, who similarly to, you know, this with Reyes expressed their concerns or their, you know, being uncomfortable with it. But the majority of fans just gave him a big round of applause from his first start back and never, you know, never did anything else. So I think it is bigger than just the Mets. And just Reyes. But I would also say, I mean, I've been kind of baffled by this idea that I saw a bunch of writers express that, you know, the Mets needed Reyes or that he's a great fit for them. Because honestly, even from a just baseball perspective, I don't see it. I mean, you know, he's it's a shortstop and what they need is a third baseman and an outfielder and offense and he hasn't hit in like two years.
2: Well, they're basically turning him into Ben Zobris down in Brooklyn. Like, that's the plan. Like, he's going to play third twice a week, second once a week, the outfield a couple times a week. And I don't know about that. Um Pocota has Reyes projected for 400 plate appearances with the Mets as a two-win player, um, which would mm-hmm. obviously be about three or three and a half over the course of the season. Um, it also has him, has him hitting three oh eight, which seems a little lofty. He hasn't done that since the last time he was with the Mets. Um, right. So, I don't... I mean,
4: you can, you can switch from shortstop to third. Certainly, certainly can, can, and has been done, but, you know, in the middle of the season for a guy in his 30s with bad legs, who's never really played third except for, like, I don't know, a dozen games in the minors... I mean, I think it's just—it's just not that easy. Um, and then, yeah, maybe he can. You know, I think the outfield might be easier, but why wouldn't you get an outfielder <laughs> or I mean, I guess a third baseman or someone at, who's hit? They're you know? looking
1: at Ian Desmond, I guess, as the model, and he's taken to the outfield pretty well. And I guess you could say it, at this point in their respective careers, their skill sets aren't wildly dissimilar. They both probably shouldn't be playing a major league shortstop anymore, and Desmond's looked pretty good um, now. Can Reyes do it? Yes. Will it also work as well for him? I don't know. There's also sort of like the funny, I don't want to say funny, but there's sort of the optics of essentially replacing Wilmer Flores, like the most beloved Met of recent memory, and a guy that, again, you, you don't know if the Reyes thing taught us anything, but a guy that is generally regarded as one of the better guys in that clubhouse with Jose Reyes.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, like you said, I don't want to get too much into falling into the trap of thinking that we, you know, know what these guys are like, really. But yeah, it's, you know, and it's also, I mean, David Wright, for that matter. I mean, it was sort of predictable going into the season that he might have problems, but you know, he's, you yeah, know, it is a tough transition for me for, from, you know, Wright to Reyes, and yeah, it is possible that he'll hit well, but I just think, I don't think they picked him up because. They had a real reason to think that. I think they picked him up because he's available for the league minimum, basically. Whereas if you trade for you know Valencia or somebody, then you have to pay a lot more money.
2: Yeah. the uh, The trade rumor that came across today, thanks to Pedro Moro, was Yunel Escobar, who's another guy that perhaps <laughs> is not. Of course. Not, yeah. Um, the The joke going around Twitter right now is that the Mets just hired Andrew Friedman. So. Right.
4: Yeah. It's. It's. You know. It's. Look, I I hope that it works out well for you know, I hope that the counselling that Reyes is taking is effective and that, you know, he goes on to have a, a long and, and happy life with his family and nothing like that ever happens again. But I just think, you know, it's we there there's so little reason right now. There's so little that we expect from people before we move on. You know, we it's like, Okay, well, sorry. Like what a coincidence that every athlete who's been accused of this for, like, the last decade is just a really good guy who made one mistake and there a second chance. Like, all of them. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same reaction every time. And I'm sure it's true for some of them, but I'm sure it's not true for all of them. And the result is that we decide that we don't have to actually change our behavior in any way or be inconvenienced or have to make a tougher decision, you know, if we just accept that. Which I'm increasingly having a problem with.
2: And if, if you kind of take it out to the end, you end up with a situation like Baylor had where they were giving tons and tons of second chances. And it turned out that they were also turning a blind eye to when the, quote, second chance guys were committing all of these terrible things once they'd given them a second chance. It was really yeah, just I mean, about getting the talent.
4: That's, yeah, yeah, slightly different because, you know, so far we have no indication that the Mets have, like, covered up or ignored any you know anything happening on, on their watch. I mean, recently, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, but and that that would be you know a, a bigger and and less legal concern. But uh, but yeah, no, it is that kind of. And a lot of fans, I think, are are you know, from what I from what I've seen, and I'm sure you guys have seen, are fine with that. That it's all about talent and nothing else matters. And I guess you can make that argument. I don't care what these guys do off the field. I just want to watch baseball. But I have a hard time with that.
1: I mean, there's a line though, like. Like, I'm, right. I sit around baseball players many days a week. And yeah, some of them, you know, you listen to what they say, and some of them are jerks, and some of them are assholes. And that, like, that there's a certain amount of acceptable assholedom in baseball locker rooms that maybe in other lines of work would be annoying or even rise to the level of a human resources issue. And that's like, okay, fine. You know, AJ Przinski, I probably don't want to share a cubicle with him. But there's nothing that he's really done that I think makes you feel, I guess it comes down to just, I, I don't want another reason to feel bad about rooting for the Mets. Right. And the Reyes yeah, thing specifically not- too, it's there's, there's a previous connection there. And, you know, when I was with the Mason Avenue audio and we did like our off season plans, we always kind of trying to find a way to get Jose Reyes back. And wouldn't it be cool that if Reyes was the last piece of the puzzle on the on the next, on the next, like world champion Mets team, or the next playoff Mets team, and that's kind of happening now, and it's just very sour.
4: No, it's true, and it is. As I think one of you guys noted online, it's, it's, you know, it, this would have been such a happy story a year ago. <laughs> uh, it would have been like awesome, Jose Reyes is coming back, you know, and and that sort of is is definitely not not there at least for me now. Although clearly it is for for some people, but I agree, there's a line, and you know, I I really don't care about. Bartolo Cologne's secret of their family. That's sort of none of my business. But when you get into, you know, issues of people, people are actually getting hurt. it's also, you know, the other thing is that this is not really a sports issue. It's a societal issue where if, you know, if the legal system and the courts were better at dealing with this, then it wouldn't be falling to baseball teams, which is a really weird place for it to be anyway, right? I mean, you know, Rob Manfred should not be trying to fix domestic violence but, you know, by himself, Um, it's a bigger issue than that, but the problem is I don't know, you know, I don't even know where to begin with fixing the bigger issues, so you know, we end up arguing about it as a baseball thing when it's, you know, really sort of above all of our pay grades.
2: Yeah, like Jose Reyes should potentially be in jail right now, and this should not be an issue because he shouldn't be available to play. Again, I don't know that for certain, but um, you know. I
4: don't even even know about that, but it's like, you know, we have so okay. Reyes is in counseling, that's good. But we don't really even know how what that entails or how effective it is. I know often like court-mandated manda- anger management classes aren't that helpful. I mean, I think I would like to believe that that approach can work. But again, this is like you know, much a much bigger problem than just like you know who should baseball teams sign. Yeah, I mean, like,
2: the police report in the Reyes case was actually pretty disturbing. Like, what happened to Catherine Ramirez, or what allegedly happened to Catherine Ramirez, because I guess we still have to say allegedly, um, for weird legal reasons, was, like, pretty bad. Like, she got basically slammed into or through a glass door. Like, I feel like if video existed of this, as it did in the Ray Rice case, we never would have seen Jose Reyes again. But yeah. I've also if you
4: could do it on video, it's like the one thing people won't won't forget.
2: Yeah, but I've this has kind of been um, passive voiced out in a lot of columns as baggage or an incident involving his wife and that kind right. of stuff. And I don't know if that's great either. I don't know how much you can talk about that. But
4: yeah, you definitely get you know euphemism bingo this week. Uh, you know, uh, baggage, tr- off field troubles, concerns. Uh, issues, all the things that we use because we don't, you know, when you're writing a jaunty sports story, it's hard to drag it down with, you know, the the cold hard facts and, you know, a lot of baseball writers really aren't particularly equipped for that either, you know, they're not trained to write about this stuff, Um, they're trained to write about games and, you know, hitting stances and all that and it is, you know, it's difficult, it's difficult to address and especially when a lot of your readers don't want to hear it, Um, you don't want to you know, no one wants to be the downer and talk about all that stuff. So it is, I think we'll certainly see some, some bad media coverage this week.
1: <laughs> Emma Spahn, Senior Editor at Sports Illustrated. You can follow her on Twitter at Emma spawn. And we'll try to have you on to talk something happier next time.
4: Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs>
1: Welcome back. It's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is, for all you kids out there, episode number eight. For all you kids out there, is the official podcast of your BP Mets local site. You can find us at mets.local.baseballperspectives.com. You can also find Jarrett and my work at The Mothership at baseballperspectives.com. Are you in the 10-pack this week?
2: I am. I have uh, a hit on Nick Williams.
1: I have Mirandy Gonzalez, who we'll talk about in some more detail in just a bit.
2: And I will probably be in the 10-pack for the next couple of weeks because I'm seeing Portland in Trenton this week. Very exciting. Which includes Jan Moncada and Andrew Benintendi. <laughs>
1: I'm about to go on my yearly longer trip and hitting Williamsport and Kingsport, starting next Friday. Right before the Baseball Protected City Field event on July 9th, which you should come to. Jared will be there. I'll be there. Craig will be there. Sandy Alderson will be there, which might be of more interest to you. Still- yeah, let's
2: let's not bury the lead. <laughs> we also have uh, TJ Barra. I'm
1: director of Analytics.
2: We have Chelsea Janes from a Washington paper that I forgot.
1: Yeah, Gary, uh, I,
2: I think, think the post. I think it is the post. We have Lags now of the New York Times. Yeah,
1: Anthony DeComo, I think, is uh, um, on the media panel as well. We ben, have ben Lindbergh of 538 and Effectively um, Wild.
2: Brett Sayre of Many Places of BP, uh, who also edits a lot of our stuff. Mm mm-hmm. um, and other people who you probably don't really care about. Not that you care about the rest of us either. No. I'm now I'm pulling up the page to see if we forgot anybody particularly important. Uh. Kate's gonna be really upset with you. <laughs> Kate, Kate Feldman. I forgot she was coming. Um uh, Mike Gianella. Oh, Vork. We forgot Vork. We did forget we forgot Vork. Vork. We forgot Maggie. Um, so a lot of people that you'll have seen around Mets Twitter and some other people, some other BP writers and. Who else? Who knows who will show up? So you can just go
1: to baseballprotectors.com, click on the banner, advertise in the event, and get your tickets there. There's still a few left. Got it's a couple also weeks. Fedora Night. It is you also get, Fedora Night. We've, we've really lovely, buried the lead there.
2: You can get a lovely orange and blue checker pattern Fedora with the golf symbol on it. Golf yes. gas.
1: <laughs> no, no, Jared. It's probably a tribly. <sighs> You can find I, fuck,
2: the, I wear baseball caps. That's
1: <laughs> you can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for "For All You Kids" out there, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. We're on Twitter at "For All You Kids." Jared's on Twitter at J A Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff patternostro We're also on Facebook. Just search for "For All You Kids" out there, and you can join our Facebook group. And you can also email the show at all you kids at com. We do have a couple emails, and we will start there. We actually forgot to answer Brady's email when I had planned to answer Brady's email.
2: So let's answer Brady's email. So
1: we'll answer Brady's email. What are the minor injuries that are indicative of possible UCL tears, and are there varying degrees to which we should worry about different minor injuries?
2: Yeah, if somebody complains of forearm tightness, it's really bad. Uh, tr-
1: anything tricep? Uh,
2: tricep, bicep, yeah. um, not great, um, but forearm tightness. Forearm tightness,
1: tightness is, is the, yeah.
2: Forearm tightness, forearm stiffness, anything with forearm. He had trouble getting loose. Yes, forearm, because the UCL like connects to the forearm. So a lot of times UCL symptoms show up in the forearm and not the elbow themselves. So anything forearm, you should be freaking the fuck out, basically. I mean, I forgot who I stole
1: this from. It might have been Joe Sheehan, but that the best indicator of future pitcher injuries is past pitcher injuries.
2: Is that a Russell thing? That might be a Russell thing. It could also
1: be a Russell thing. Um, But every, like... So just taking a rough sampling of recent Mets, young pitchers that aren't... Stephen Matz and Noah Syndergaard because I think they might be outliers in and of themselves in various ways uh like what do, what profile worries you the most is it you know Michael Fulmer who's a big guy with a uh, history of lower body injuries and I think there was some like mysterious shoulder thing in there at some point in St. Lucie too when he got shut down at the end of the year you know Robert gazelman has been generally healthy but had some recurring leg issues you know louis mateo was a guy when they signed he had had bone chips removed and then shortly after blew out his arm you know logan verrette his first full season i believe had a shoulder impingement that uh kept him on the shelf at the beginning of the season gabriel you know has never really had any arm issues like who are you betting on breaking first
2: So is the answer just all of them?
1: Right. I mean, I think it's... The amount we can sort of suss out risk here, I don't think is significant above and beyond overall risk for throwing a baseball.
2: With, I mean, guys that have generally been... Well, I mean, Luis Mateo
1: is kind of the guy where it's like, I don't predict arm injuries yeah. based on mechanics. But if I were to predict arm injuries based on mechanics, Mateo would have been at the top of my list.
2: And on some level, Clayton Kershaw or Cole Hamels has just done this for so long, that it's like, okay, they're probably just lower-risk guys.
1: Right, like, but you could have said the same thing of Bronson Arroyo, and eventually he did blow out.
2: Bronson Arroyo was... And again, you start getting into look, and you start getting into feel... But, you know, Branson Arroyo had something of a weird motion, and he's a really skinny guy, sure. and he got, you know, he wasn't, like, a horse. Right. Um, and I really hate that term. I'm sorry I used that. I don't like these dehumanizing, like, types of terms. But could You, know, have, you play, could have just said league average
1: innings muncher.
2: Yeah, you know— Clayton Kershaw has essentially missed, like, six starts since he was called up in 2008. What was his like, issue
1: that's... at the beginning of the 2014 season? I don't <sighs> think it was arm. It was, like, back, maybe? No,
2: uh, like... Uh, it's... it's
1: like an intercostal or something?
2: Uh... Great radio, as I'm Googling. Um, seriously? Seriously? You you just say he went on the DL and don't tell me Why? Thank, thank you, SB Nation News. Um, felt something while throwing it. Ing- I'm just gonna have <laughs> to edit this all out, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they seriously didn't know the injury. Um,
1: Can we just say it wasn't arm-related?
2: No, apparently it was arm-related. Oh, okay. Well, that um, completely ruins it. Was it. A <laughs> It was a muscle behind his left shoulder. So there was, was something like whether it was, like, there was back or shoulder.
1: Right, so it was probably like the lat thing that... Or similar Straight, to the lat thing left, that...
2: left terse major.
1: I don't know what that is.
2: I don't know what that is either. It was probably... I think I feel like lats, probably.
1: Right, so it was similar to the whatever Stephen Matt's sleeping wrong injury was, probably.
2: Yeah, but, you know, and Cole Hamill's infamously, like, his only arm injury of note is that he broke his pitching arm in high school while playing, like, street football. Like, but other than that, he's been mostly healthy. So you would assume that those guys? Sure. You know, on some level, R.A. Dickies is, like, the right, easy yeah. Um
1: Though he's had, like, he hasn't, obviously he's not going to blow out, but he's had his fair share of back issues over the years. Sure. But again, I think Brady was specifically asking about, well, he wasn't really asking about arm Issues specifically, it was. He was
2: asking specifically about Tommy John, you know. Right. So. But you get
1: like, I mean, you can get like cascade effect things too, like sure. ...Johan Santana rolling his ankle and then
0: blowing Destrying out his shoulder. his
1: shoulder. Now that might have happened regardless, but there may have been some sort of mechanical adjustment he had to make that exacerbated it.
2: And hey, you know, there's nothing, you know. I mean, anytime I, I, your
1: pitcher like leaves the game and has to get an MRI, yeah. you can feel like, free the, to be worried.
2: It would be a horrible crime if Clayton Kershaw had Tommy John surgery. But, you know, I I can't tell you that it's not going to happen in his next start. You know, he has... There's some violence in his mechanics. and But, you know, the fact that his elbow has been healthy for, you know, nine years straight is better than, you know, you brought up Louis Mateo or yeah. Stephen Matz. And a lot of this is
1: self-selecting to a certain extent. The guys with the crappy mechanics oh. blow out earlier.
2: Chris Sale accepted. Chris Sale accepted. Because we always have to throw Chris Sale in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the consensus of baseball people um that work for teams, the consensus of baseball people with the White Sox, the consensus of baseball people outside teams, was that if Chris Sale threw 200 innings in any season, his arm would fall off. And that was why he was made a reliever. That was why he was made a reliever again. Um, The White Sox at one point said, if you have any kind of minor arm injury, we're never giving you another start. And then he had one and his agent had to go to the GM to overrule the field staff. And Chris sales arm has been completely healthy for his entire major league career.
1: So I think, I think as you said before on the show, we don't know anything.
2: The answer is we have no fucking answer. But generally, forearm stiffness is a pretty good Tommy John precursor sign. It's a sign that the UCL has already blown, and when they MRI it, that's what they're going to find.
1: Our next email is from Josie, Jeff and Jarrett. I'm sorry it took me five episodes to realize that Jeff didn't just leave. I mean, it's an avenue that actually brought the show over here, but I'm glad I found it.
2: You could have plugged it. I felt
1: uh, bad about doing that. A I guess, of I, guess
2: we, I guess we just accidentally revealed that we had planned this before you uh, left. Yeah, Oops. good job.
1: <laughs> My question for you, once I get to it, is in regards to prospects who have second division starter upside. In past years, those types might become actual Mets starters. With the team in contention outside of injury, those types can't be given starting jobs or jobs to start years at the major league level, and thus might end up in Vegas for multiple seasons. Well, I think Delson Herrera is above that status. Um. Mm. i mean he could very well end up a second division starter Mm. like i have him as like a 55 and you're kind of high on. and i am kind of high on him so um you know i've talked to plenty of people uh that saw him in the minors have more like that sort of like fringe average to second division starter range it's telling that the mets went the neil walker route instead of handing him the job to open the year Starting this year and beyond, to me, there's a handful of guys in the system with second division starter ceilings that could top out at Vegas with no opportunity to break through unless there's a specific injury. This He did send this in before the Nemo call-up, by the way. Specifically, I'm referring to Nimmo, Chicchini, and Dom Smith, who all soon could be in prospect limbo land. They're probably not good enough to get impact players in trades themselves, but don't necessarily have a route to the majors without an injury. Each of them might have been considered top 100 prospects, depending on who is doing the ranking. But for each, that was always contingent on some form of breakthrough that until the past few weeks for Nimmo hasn't happened. My question to you is, starting this off season, do you think these guys have more value as organizational depth, meaning you keep them around even if it means repeating levels or becoming backups utility men, to avoid calling up the Ty Kellys and Eric Campbells of the world, or do you try to get what you can before they've aged out of prospect status and lose value
2: if a breakthrough doesn't occur? This is a great question. Um Yeah, this was... Probably the best question we've gotten so far. Sorry, other people that sent in
1: emails because it does sort of get uh, into sort of prospect philosophy, which is always interesting to me. And I don't think it's really <laughs> even starts this off season. I think it starts now in the next month. So uh, you could make a case that Nimo is up in part to showcase him. I don't think that's the primary reason. I think they needed an outfielder they could hit more than Michael Conforto hit so far in June, but. If he does hit a little bit for a month, then Conforto—no, you know, get back to your point in the first segment. If they both hit for three weeks, maybe you look
2: to move Nemo. Maybe you look to move Conforto. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to do that either, but they've done weird stuff before.
1: Right, there seems um, to be—to get to the question, there seems to be this weird— One of the reasons they traded for Kelly Johnson is—and yeah, that and was Kelly fun. Johnson is like a second-division starter— Like, if you want the dictionary definition of second division starter, it's Kelly. And not just he was starting for the raves, but...
2: Kelly Johnson is the functional replacement guy for a contender. You can go out and get the equivalent of Kelly Johnson for a prospect that you don't really care about. Right. And he can be... he
1: can, He's not going to kill you for a couple months if you have injury issues. He can play a few different positions. You know, we could easily be describing Nimmo
2: or Chikini here. I mean, Smith doesn't have the same positional flexibility. Which is one of the arguments to trade these guys if you can just always get, go out and get Kelly Johnson and have him, you know, be your league average bat that can stand a bunch of different places.
1: But teams don't like to break in prospects that way. Cause if you think there is more upside than second division starter and these guys, you want to be able to give them regular playing time and get their reps at the major league level to see if that's in there or not. So, I mean, it's very possible that Gavin Cheney should be used as a second base shortstop. Third base backup, maybe even throw him in the corner outfield, um, you know, in the Kelly Johnson role. Um, he should
2: probably have Matt Reynolds' job right now,
1: or you could, yeah, if you want to go in that direction too. And again, it's those. It's good to have second division starters as your backup for when your first division starters you ideally have on your first division team get hurt, whether it's David Wright or Travis Darno or Lucas Duda.
2: This is. This is, I mean, the Mets have kind of turned Wilmer Flores and Kevin Ploiecki into these guys by holding them perhaps yes. past the want
1: I didn't want to bring up Ploiecki for just that reason. You know, he's yeah. that guy. He, I think he did make some top 100 prospect lists. He did. Um, and he was a first-round pick. Yep. Yeah.
2: As was Matt Reynolds. Well, was Matt Reynolds second? He second. Made, he was he second. He might have been early second. Okay.
1: Um, and, you know, Flores was functionally, for the amount of money they gave him, a high draft pick at the time.
2: So r and he made a lot of top 100 lists. Yeah. Um, and they kind of played those guys into
1: Kelly Johnson. But this happens all the time. Like, we're doing our top 50 midseason list right now. And I'll preface this by saying the minor leagues as a whole are down badly right
2: now. It's also the, the specific way that BP does midseason lists is we don't include anybody that's currently in the majors and we don't include draft picks. So well, that like, kind of artificial... It basically ends up being the top 100 talent level guys. Yeah, um.
1: but even so, like I know when I was doing my draft of my list, like by about 20 or so, I'm like, is this guy really a top 50 prospect?
2: Yeah, I mean, and- I mean, he
1: is a guy that we've both seen and you're writing about this week, Nick Williams.
2: Nick Williams is clearly Nick Williams is not just a top fifty prospect. He might be a top twenty prospect right Right. now.
1: But he's you know there's a very real sort of second division starter outcome there because there's not enough speed for there's I don't want to say there's not enough speed. He's probably not a center fielder, and there may not be enough power
2: for a corner. But the flip side is that. Nick Williams could, and, you know, there's enough hit tool and there's enough raw there that he could end up being a 70-hit, you know, 55, 50, 60-power Right, guy. there's huge but upside, like, which I think... Like there's, which Brandon Nimmo doesn't have. That's the difference between Nimmo and Nick Williams. Sure. Uh,
1: um,
2: is Bradley Zimmer a better guy to
1: use here? yeah,
2: yeah I, I think so. I know there are people that don't. I mean, there are people that love Bradley Zimmer. Right, um, and
1: nobody is trading... Bradley Zimmer for the return you're going to get for Brandon Nimmo I mean there is is some sort of post hype how
2: how confident are you that Bradley Zimmer is a better prospect than Brandon Nimmo
1: how can my confidence interval here Uh,
2: because they're basically the exact same age and Bradley Zimmer has been kind of not not terrible but not great at double A yeah. Uh, that's whereas Nimmo has been excellent in AAA. a in Vegas. The, it's it's Vegas, but Bradley Zimmer is also striking out like a third of the time almost. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm fairly confident.
1: I mean, not within the sort of in mean, the confidence interval here is still fairly large, I think. Uh, uh, and I'm Bra- not a big, Bradley, I'm not a Bradley Zimmer defender at all, which is why I
2: kind of brought him up. And Bradley Zimmer also has a raw power upside. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, probably you the know, big difference yeah, here. Like a, there's like a 60 power, 60 speed type thing going on there, which people fall in love with. Um, and he's also got a very good plate approach, which Nimmo does as well. Um, but, yeah, it's like, is Bradley Zimmer a top 50 prospect? Spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure Bradley Zimmer is going to make our top 50. Um
1: but to get back to the Conforto-Nimo problem, do you just DFA Alejandro Diaz and use Nemo in that spot? Again, you don't really develop yeah, guys uh, by doing that. And I think part of the reason that Flores didn't develop, I mean, Wilmer Flores probably would have been Wilmer Flores, but he did kind of get jerked around between a bench roll and starting when he was first called up.
2: I mean, and it's also, you know, Alejandro Diaz, for as crappy as he's been, and I understand he's hitting 169, not nice. Um, you know, it's 100 plate appearances. It's not. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've
1: seen this happen, and then, you know, Chris Young goes to New York yeah, and becomes he, Chris Young again.
2: Kelly Johnson was this bad in Atlanta early in the season, and the Mets just ignored it because it was Atlanta, and they sure looked like they were correct to ignore it. But and it's you 100 know,
1: plate appearances. So. Anybody can hit
2: anything in 100 plate appearances within reasonable bounds.
1: I mean, sure, 100 people. plate appearances why Michael Conforto's in Vegas right now.
2: Yeah, like, you know, and. That's not a true talent level either. Um, but it's not you know, but there's al you know, Aljunter bounced between three teams last year. It wasn't like Hunter. The Azor was in great demand. The Mets signed him to a contract that was probably not, too much.
1: Yeah, I think there was like the I think the playing time esque elevators would have made it too much money, but
2: But I, by the wanted, same
1: token if he played enough, if he was good enough to justify that playing time, it probably was a good deal.
2: But they also wanted to lock him in reasonably early in the offseason for players like Alejandro Hunter for whatever reason, which right. the Mets have done.
1: Because I think their plan was to platoon Alejandro Diaz yeah, in center Alejandro, field.
2: Because <laughs> they thought Alejandro Deaza was secretly a regular. Uh, so.
1: Yeah. Um. Can
2: you imagine if you'd been hitting 170 as a semi-regular in center, and then I mean, and I, then I, like, I, I, and I, then when like goes down, and you have, and you keep having to play him. I watch I mean I
1: watched the Chris Young season.
2: <laughs> you imagine that holy shit. I mean I do
1: have some frame of reference for this. Um, I guess to answer the actual question, I think all of these dudes are definitely available at the deadline. And this offseason. I mean these are the guys you trade.
2: I'm more um I I prefer trading especially the corner guys. Sure, I
1: mean, these are the guys that you can, if you find the team that likes them more than you, you trade, I guess is a better way to put it.
2: Yeah, I would rather trade these guys than, say, Robert Gizelman or, I don't know, Wilbur Bislar or somebody. Sure, I not
1: there's not much else. Yeah, I mean,
2: Desmond Lindsay, like, you know... Um. Is Desmond Lindsay alive? He has a
1: hamstring issue. He'll be playing in a couple of weeks, probably. Yeah,
2: but it's been, like, three months with this hamstring issue. It was, like, years.
1: right at the end of Extended, uh, I think.
2: Uh, but, yeah, he has not... had,
1: like, several leg injuries within the last
2: <laughs>
1: um, year and a half, which could make you a little nervous if you were so inclined.
2: You would. You would rather move kind of the topped out guy that looks like he's going to be a second division regular because you can always replace that. And there are teams that are specifically looking to get these kind of guys. The Braves come to mind. Braves, Probably the, the Padres too. Cause yeah. it, it, it it's sort of the second division teams need regulars. That's why they're called second division regulars. It's
1: also sort of the classic, I guess I don't want to call it classic, but sort of the Astro style rebuild where you sell everything is about val- a value. To get some of these guys and one or two of them maybe outperform their projection.
2: Yeah, I mean... If and you, you get compl- a cheap regular. If, yeah, if you compile 15 of these guys, you're probably going to get one or two of them, hit the 90th percentile projection that actually is good or better regular. I'm trying to give like, an
1: actual example of how that worked for the
2: Astros. But. What did they get for Juan D. Rodriguez?
1: I I, I, don't uh, remember.
2: I I mean, I guess it's uh, Montes, the prospect, the pitching yeah, prospect, sure. kind of one of them. And, uh, I mean, functionally, all of the guys at the I, – I guess Luis Valbuena, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Um, the Astros basically got this from a couple of their in-house guys. I mean, that was uh, – Colin McHugh is probably the best example. He was
1: a, just he was a, a waiver, waiver claim, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but they basically got these good, you know, Dallas Keuchel kind of had this kind of outcome. Uh, Altuve basically had this kind of, outcome. Altuve was never like a super, super top prospect. Um,
1: I'm actually like legitimately curious what the Astros got for Wandy Rodriguez. So I'm going to yep. look it up.
2: Colby Rasmus was kind of a guy they scrapped heaped and, uh. Got. You
1: know? I got Robbie Grossman I guess was the best player in that deal but that's the kind of guy you get that maybe outperforms his projection Yeah, he so didn't, you, Robbie Grossman did not but
2: yeah I mean you get a bunch of these guys and hope one of them turns into something
1: Robbie Grossman is hitting 274-401-487 for the Twins this year I would not I, have guessed that maybe he shouldn't have turned down that. maybe he should have turned down that contract after all did they offer Grossman one, too? I thought it was just Singleton and uh, no,
3: Dominguez.
2: No, Grossman and Dominguez were the two guys that turned it down. Right, okay. Yeah. That turned down the $10 million arbitration buyout forever.
1: Our final email is from Tom. Since we're apparently doing a 2006 Mets reunion, any chance of dealing for Beltran? He seems like he could be an offensive upgrade in a corner. What would it take to get him? Any chance the Yanks are one of those teams inexplicably in love with Dom Smith? Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Maybe about the Yankees need you another know, first-base guy.
2: I also don't know if you need Dom Smith to get Beltran. Like that I don't know that he's going to go for that
1: much. Um, I mean, he still owed a fair amount of money.
2: If the Yankees eat some of the money, I could see I guess see they it.
1: get a better prospect, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, really hitting... Um.
2: So the issue with, I now, if neither Nimmo nor Conforto particularly establishes himself, or you can sell Carlos Beltran on the idea of playing first base, which he's done occasionally. And it's been a complete
1: not, disaster from what yeah. I understand.
2: Um, or perhaps you can sell Curtis Granderson on the idea of playing first base.
1: He's such is, a bad defensive outfielder now. It's like, yes, it makes me sad.
2: So that's, the problem is you've got to play Carlos Beltran somewhere, and the Designated hitter has not come to the National League yet. So he fits better with teams that have a DH spot that they could afford to get a guy in there that's going to play four or five days a week as a DH. I
1: mean, he definitely is an offensive upgrade in a corner. It's just the other part of the game that's a problem.
2: Carlos Beltran might hit 40 home runs again.
1: I know. And he's, yeah. he's very much like in full old player skill set. Mode He's now. He stopped, stopped walking. Wa- he stopped is. walking and just hits stingers. Yeah. And like, strikes out a little bit more than he did in his prime. And it's like I, the. It's like. Uh, who did Bill James write about this in the abstract? Was it uh, uh, Greg Gagne?
2: I think so. Um. Some more, some more breaking news. The Nationals are making a call up to pitch against the Mets on Tuesday, which a lot of people are speculating is going to be the major league debut of Lucas Giolito,
1: Urias, Tyone, and Giolito. Those were well, Tyone was down on our list because um another bad Tommy in, John. He had pitched in two yeah. years. Well, it wasn't. He was Tommy John was funny. I think he got a sports he had, hernia.
2: He had complications on his rehab.
1: Yeah, um, but obviously Giolito and Urias for one, too.
2: Um. That's not... It's not confirmed that's going to be Giolito. who's going
1: to be? Like, I don't even know who they have in Syracuse right now.
2: I think Voth is in the mix for that Oh, start. yeah, it
1: could be Voth, I guess.
2: Um, Giolito is... We will probably know tomorrow, because Giolito's on rotation in Harrisburg tomorrow, so, so if he yeah. does not make that start, he's probably pitching in in, uh, in Washington on Tuesday. Uh, who um, will be the match starter for
1: that game? Harvey? <laughs> Syndergaard is going Monday, so...
2: It's by by yeah. process of elimination, it's got to be either Harvey or DeGrom, right? Well, DeGrom went uh, That Harvey to versus TBD. That'll be something. <laughs> um, in case, uh, Stephen, we, we should probably fill in. Um, Stephen Strasburg is on the disabled list with a number of injuries involving his ribs and back that he apparently suffered while lifting weights. Um. <laughs> uh, so the i guess it's good he signed the extension um Gialito has been so they undid whatever mechanical changes they did and he's been pitching better yes. over the past couple of weeks that's still a pretty
1: big ask for that jump but i mean well, he has the stuff that's right of
2: offense is going yeah. if you do want to break
1: like, in your young pitcher against a
2: major league offense i guess you could do worse but that's you know that's kind of a big series and yeah. So getting back to Beltron for a minute, um, I would love if they brought him back. Um, It'd be funny
1: when he gets booed and Reyes gets cheered in their first game back.
2: Yes. Um, I don't think there's any chance in hell that that's happening. Um, for all the reasons we've already said, I think if the Mets deal for an outfielder, it's going to be an outfielder and. Yeah. Um, I think they kind of feel like they've already settled that with Kelly Johnson and Reyes to the extent that they need to.
1: Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at all you kids at baseballperspectus.com. We'll now move on, because I want to talk about Hansel Robles.
2: I want to talk about Hansel Robles, He was going to be like
1: at the top of the agenda when I was sketching this out on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, it going to be Hansel Robles <laughs> and Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> You were going to get 20 minutes on Hansel Robles and instead he's buried back
1: here. You might still get 20 minutes on Hansel Robles. It's entirely possible with uh, the way this show usually goes.
2: After Hansel Robles, we've got Brooklyn dudes and Roman Reigns pissing hot, basically.
1: Oh, do we? I didn't get that last part on the agenda. (laughs) Uh, It does feel like this happened, like, weeks ago at this point. But he looked and he came in after Cologne took the comebacker off his hand and... Had to get warmed up in a hurry, and he looked pretty good, admittedly, against... Who the heck was that even, maybe even playing in that game? Was that the Pirates? I think so. Um, I, don't,
2: I don't even remember. This feels like a <laughs> long
1: ago. I guess I should probably look this up for accuracy's sake. It had to be the Pirates. They took two out of three from the Pirates, right? So, I'm not making this up.
2: Yeah. it was so, the Royals? <laughs> it was not
1: the Pirates. They played yeah. two games against the Royals this week.
2: Um... So Hansel Robles, when not overthrowing his slider, which I've always liked more than you have, right. um, regained some of the tilt that had, I had that it flashes, but had never consistently did. And the changeup uh, didn't look bad. Yeah, so his like, changeup, which he never throws as a reliever, actually looked like like, like a, a forty f- change. Like it, it was like a forty flash fifty. Yeah,
1: which is like enough when you're ninety three to ninety five with a decent slider to at least sort I, of
2: good movement on the 93 95 right too. like it's the fastball a, looked better at 95 than it usually does in 98
1: right and he's not really he's reaching back now and not even getting the 98 anymore really so
2: which may be the fact that he's pitched quite an awful lot last week
1: sure <laughs> um but it's that's the kind of thing where if like the mets rotation were more like the 2012 version you'd be like oh maybe we'll stretch him out and try him as a starter
2: yeah, they tried this with Bobby Parnell, which you noted earlier. That was an absolute disaster, but Bobby Parnell at that point was literally just fastball only, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and,
1: you know, Robles was a starter up and through AA, and I saw him twice that year. The last year, he was a starter. and it I was saw like, him once. It was like 88-93, to 93, and...
2: I saw him towards the end of the season. The velocity was up. I think mm-hmm. I saw him in a long relief. Um, not a start. Yeah. Um,
1: so, I mean, it made sense to move him to the pen to try to get that velocity bump and he has a lower arm slot so you wonder about him against lefties multiple times through the order but it was just it was just fun to see like rando he might
2: be in a different system he might be somebody like nate Karns that you would use in a structure twice through the order like once every four or five days or all yeah um the mets have the, the Mets field staff has shown no ability to manage that at that level of creativity. <laughs> I mean, they already left him in for an inning longer than they should have in this yeah. start that we're
1: talking about.
2: Yeah, they let him hit and then face guys, like, third time through the quarter <laughs> in this emergency on one day of rest. Uh, you know, I've I've always liked Hansel Robles, I did, the, too. I wrote,
1: like, a, one of the first, like, really big, long form pieces I wrote on Prospects at Amazing Avenue, was Hansel Robles. Because I saw him a bunch that summer, basically, was the reason. But,
2: like, he looked really good. And he's also had these ups and downs where he has looked good and then yeah. looked not quite as good. But, you know, on the season now, Hansel Robles has pitched, like, a pretty good pitcher. So that's I wonder if you could move that's...
1: him into more of a long relief role now that he's shown that. Ability to sort of measure out his stuff. for. I
2: mean, could you argue that he has the job that Logan... Or he should have the job that Logan Verett has?
1: They're not even really using Verrett as a long reliever at this point, though, is the other thing. I mean, I assume it'll still be Gil Martin.
2: I mean, you know, is he better than Eric Goodell, probably? Yes. Um, I know some people are still... Goodell
1: proponents, and I haven't seen every well, appearance well, I, since he's been up, but every appearance I have seen, he looks pretty well shot. It's
2: like 90 and dick curves. Yeah. Uh, it's very
1: sort of Bobby Parnellish post Tommy John recovery last summer.
2: But he has a shiny ERA. Right. As in Bobby that, that, Parnell for his first. Yeah, because the, the home run got like blown in by like eight inches in and Granite <laughs> and caught it at the wall. Um, I. I I would like to see them try Hansel Robles as a twice-to-the-order starter. It's not going to happen. Right, they just don't, like, if you want to save innings for some of these guys, that might be the way to do it. You know, you could piggyback Hansel Robles on... Like, mass, especially, because you get the
1: lefty-righty.
2: Yeah. Um... And I've,
1: I've many, many years been a proponent of some sort of piggybacking, but the Mets seem very, very disinclined to... Pursue that option.
2: And, you know, as we discussed, this is the other side of having Dan Worthen. Dan Worthen is a pitching coach from the 90s. He manages his staff like a sabermetrically aware of Randy Jazzierly's research guy from 1998,
1: (laughs) like pitcher abuse points.
2: Yes, like he what, to, like further, he's, to he's complete a, the reference. Yes, he's like aware of like that. and he's, that's like he's where like, where I we should end. keep it
1: under one twenty. Yeah,
2: and that's like where we end with like the modern usage of pitchers. And that's what you get when you also get the guy that can teach everybody to throw a sixty or seventy or eighty slider. And I think that's a reasonable trade off all in all. I've seen people argue both ways, so um I am I am a fan of Dan Worthen's, but uh, I know people that are not.
1: Jared, I saw Brooklyn three times this week.
2: Uh tell me about Colby Woodmansey because I can.
1: I can tell you a lot about Colby Woodmansey, actually.
2: <laughs> I'm sure uh, you can.
1: <laughs> so Brooklyn was in Norwich this week, which is reasonably convenient for me. They're all seven o'clock starts so I can get there after work. I did manage to catch uh Two Brooklyn BPs as well, which is always nice. Um, Yeah, so they haven't, like, signed half of their, like, first ten college picks.
2: And two of the ones uh, that they signed weren't playing yet.
1: Yeah. Um, I saw Justin Dunn walk out to the bullpen. I mean, Tiberi actually took a couple uh, days of BP, which was good to see, at least. And I'll catch them again as, as the summer goes on and more people sign.
2: I probably will as well.
1: But it was a little down from my post-draft excitement level for this team. And Lindsay being hurt doesn't help either. Um, Ali Sanchez is banged Hi. up right now and not catching, so I only saw him twice. Still in the
2: College World Series. Coastal Carolina's in the College World Series championship I
1: know. So yeah. good for him. Uh, you know, Peter Alonzo just got done with that. So yeah. he's probably a couple of weeks out from showing up in Brooklyn, assuming the— negotiations proceed apace i don't know what's up with anthony kay but he threw a ton of innings so the mets might just sort of be
2: being to, to, a little
1: cautious with or in no hurry at least to get him on the field
2: i also want to follow up on the idea that justin dunn might progress to the major leagues this season he is going to be throwing <laughs> 10 starts in brooklyn of two or three innings yeah and that's it
1: yeah he and is I'm, not
2: moving past brooklyn this and
1: season. i'm sure they'll all be at home and they'll announce it ahead of time <laughs>
2: Probably for K too.
1: Yeah. Uh so it's uh not a great offensive team right now.
2: Just like the uh Mets.
1: Yeah. Uh I mean Woodman Z, as you already mentioned, is probably the best and well, Sanchez is the best hitter. Um Woodman Z is the guy that's gonna kill the level. And is clearly too good for the level.
2: Why is he there?
1: I don't know. Because they don't really have I don't even know who the shortstop in Colombia is. Well, it's going to be. Put him in St. Lucie. Yeah, that it seems, seems put like on it's the. Just
2: Rosario out there. Well, they we got. We should have talked about that at some point too.
1: Yeah, we can get to that. They got a uh, playing every day there. I don't know who the shortstop is, in oh, it's Milton Ramos. Yeah, I guess you can put him there if you really want to keep him and give him shortstop reps. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a shortstop long term. So, or really even, in the medium term, he's very tall. He's not particularly rangy. Um, Like, his hands are good, his actions are good, the arm's okay, it's not great. Um, You know, he's a very, he's like one of those polished Division I college defenders that's probably going to have to move to second because the physical tools just aren't, or third, I suppose.
2: I I have seen and read very varying reports on that. Um, And a friend of the podcast, Kate Morrison, saw him in the College World Series and pretty much shared your opinion um but there were also people that like thought he was one of the best defensive shortstops in the draft. I've never seen it do it, so I don't
1: <sighs> know. it's that's like it's uh, he's six three and lanky, so like getting down there was one play you probably should have made they didn't quite get down for. Um I mean, it was a a tough play, but a, I think a rangier, quicker, smaller shortstop makes it. Um the arm's okay, but it's not great. Like if the arm was the only issue, he could stick there. Like, it's enough arm. I guess. Um, I, I don't love the swing. Like, again, he'll kill this level. I think he's hitting, like, 360 or something. But, you know, he made... If you just looked at... If you just listened, I guess, to the three games, he made the loudest contact of anyone on the Brooklyn team. But he was also seeing pretty much exclusively 86 to 88 mile-an-hour fastballs. Like, like- the, the quality of the stuff was not... Significantly better and probably worse in a lot of cases than the stuff he was seeing in the Pac 12.
2: Yeah, like the pack going from the Pac 12 to the New York Penn League is pretty similar or lower level of competition. Yeah. Um, which, may, you know, same thing with pretty much all of the guys. I mean, Peter is going to murder that league if yeah. they put him there. I think SEC to, SEC to the New York Penn League is a substantial downgrade.
1: I think there's some power in there. Or maybe average draw from the pull side from what I saw in BP. Um, you know, he gets a little uppercut from time to time, so he can lift a few out. You didn't really see that in games so much. But he's like one of those guys where it's like it's a fifth round college pick. It's like he's going to play in double A and pass that, I don't know, yet. He's got a chance. Sure, he's got a chance. Um I guess I'll talk about Ali Sanchez now cuz I really like Ali Sanchez. I
2: really do you.
1: Yeah. I like his swing a lot. I mean, he, I didn't realize like he was playing. He was DHing with like a heavily taped right hand and still putting pretty good wood why? on the ball. I don't know
2: why were they playing him. They've got like 900 catchers on that roster. He wasn't catching.
1: Have, he was just DHing. Yeah, they
2: couldn't DH like Brandon Brocher or something. Yeah, yeah like, sure.
1: <laughs> um, he actually was like warming up the, one of the pitchers in between innings because Rizzy or Brochure was had just hit or was on the bases. Yeah. You know. Just until they get their equipment on, and he was just- li- literally lollypopping everything back to the mound he was like throwing it fifteen percent effort if that yeah, but he looks really good he's he's really good it's like oppo straight away approach he just hits the ball where it's pitched there's it's a very simple swing with some bat to ball um, a little bit surprising power i know the general reports on him that i've gone is there's just not going to be a lot of power there but every time i see him he's only 19 he's probably close to physically maxed out but Uh i think he can still find maybe a little more power out of that swing than he's had so far um and that's maybe projected generally like he's very clear to me i'd like to see him catch later in the season just for an update on that i did see him in the complex last year and came away impressed uh, despite the issues with his arm. I'd also like to see him catch, because I've been to write a piece about his catching since March. <laughs> uh, Insert
2: Wally Backman quote here.
1: Yeah. But I think he's probably a slam dunk to be top 10 in the system again this year for me.
2: I, I mean, they basically— i I'm thinking they probably added three guys in the draft that are of a top 10 case, maybe four. now No. If. No. You don't you don't think you don't think the system's bad enough for Alonzo
1: to potentially make a top ten? No, I don't. I really don't. Okay. Um I mean, yeah, Don Sure Kay probably.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm sure we'll do a podcast about this when it gets uh, Oh, I'm sure we will too. Gets to the off season and we've seen and more by of one these guys. By, by one
2: podcast you mean probably five. Yeah, yeah,
1: sure. We do like to talk about this stuff. Um uh, yeah. is it impossible that Peter Alonzo sneaks back into the top ten? Let me just hang on, let me pull up my little thing. For my, that was
2: awkwardly phrased.
1: My little spreadsheet. There, is that better? <laughs> um, so to get Peter Alonzo into the top ten...
2: Because Nemo Nimmo might graduate off
3: now.
1: Okay, I'll even give you Nimmo graduating off. You have to get him over one of probably Becerra, Lindsey, Kay, Sanchez, and Carpio, and Dominic Smith...
2: I, that's plausible.
1: I guess you get him over. They I could mean,
2: also trade a couple of these guys.
1: Sure, you're not going to get him over Louis Carpio on my list, but he could get it's, over it's on some people.
2: might be over. But, but
1: even past that, you've got, like, guys that are closer, like, you know, in Flexin. Um You've got, you know, Andre Andres Jimenez could be stateside this year, and wow, everybody.
2: Just shut
1: up man. No, but I think it's going to happen at some point. Um you know, I'm not entirely convinced he's better, and I've gotten reports that suggest he maybe isn't better than Blake Tiberi.
3: Okay. Well.
1: Um, and I like Tiberi a lot, actually. Again, it's two rounds of BP, and I guess he's a little beat up himself right now, and he looks like a guy that's a little beat up and just got off a long college season because he was, you know, popping things up into the cage, swinging out of his shoes at time. But, like, every, like, third BP swing, he'd look like clearly the best hitter on the team.
2: Well, you know, Tia's got a comp still guy that's taking 350 in the majors. So. Well, I think you specifically elicited that comp. I don't know if he's getting it from other people.
1: <laughs> um, uh, so maybe he has a shot, assuming he actually I, gets any third base reps over Jose Reyes in the coming week.
2: What, what did you think of Gene Cohn? Our
1: friend Michael Bauman's main man? Yes. <laughs> Look, Gene Cohn's fun. Uh, he can run a little bit. He can throw a little bit. He can pick it out there. The swing at times sort of reminded me of Jeff McNeil's, actually, from the left side.
2: Okay, I like Jeff
1: McNeil. Yeah, it's not as uh, consistently rotational as McNeil's is. He tends to uh, collapse his backside a little bit and uppercut it, which is totally not his game. There's not a lot of power there. He's my size. You want to talk about my new jeans buddy? It's Gene Cohn.
2: So Carlos Torchy has graduated from jeans buddy status? I thought
1: Carlos Torchy's, like, put on a lot of weight now. Relatively speaking, no, compared to me, no, no. no. Uh, our, fr- our friend Matt Winkleman shared a. I was looking for guys in Williamsport to see, and one of the I forgot the guy's name was, but it was like, I think listed at like six four one
2: eighty. But he had skinnier legs than I did,
1: so that might be my new jeans, buddy.
2: Is, are, are there any other? I mean, Brandon Brelscher does come up in Mets Twitter. Uh, I feel like Diaz got some... You can't really. Well, the got sent down
1: to Kingsport when all okay, the college guys signed.
2: Okay.
1: Um Brochure, yeah, okay. It's plus Ron BP. I, he didn't look great catching. It's a little stiff. He doesn't receive that well. I uh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's... I was more impressed with, uh again, a longer-term catcher, but I like Tomas Nito a lot more at the same level.
2: I saw, um, I saw a Twitter discussion about people discussing whether Nito was going to need to be protected from Rule 5 this offseason, which I had not thought about. But is he? I guess he is
1: a he 2012 is. high school pick.
2: Yeah, so and catchers is,
1: do get taken.
2: Yeah. yeah that will be another
1: discussion I'm sure we'll have on, like, five podcasts.
2: Oh, yeah, Rule 5 times. You know, but, you know, he's hitting 300 in St. Louis. Yeah, he's and he can, he's always been able to throw, yeah. Yeah, but this is the runner. type of... This is the type is of the,
1: guy that gets you know, popped. Who is the it's like the Jesus Flores. He,
2: Jesus Flores is probably a little better of a prospect. I mean, he was a little further
1: us, along too, I think, wasn't he in Double a? No, I think they popped him out of St.
2: Lucie. Yeah, yeah. I think that, the I, the rumor with Jesus Flores has always been that Omar forgot to put the protection <laughs> in. On of course. Him. Um, and he was a more
1: advanced defender, probably too, so he had a better chance to stick.
2: Yeah, but you know, yeah, there's it'll be a discussion. The Mets have a lot of guys that they potentially have to protect this year. Uh, Jacob
1: Zanon, who was Alex Nelson's dude. Again, roughly my size. <laughs> that
2: explains a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, like, the uniform literally is just, like, falling off him. Surprising, like, he's such a weird one. Because he's, like, one of those, like, classic, like, physically immature Juco center fielders. Like, where he's a good runner, and he just, like, arm bars and tries to hit everything out of the park. And, like, I watched him in BP, I'm like, that swing is, like, you can see him getting maybe physically stronger and cutting that down a little bit and tapping a little bit more into some pull side raw. And he did hit, like, a hanging slider out a long way in games. But it's just he's not physically strong enough yet to really handle better velocity that may or may not come and he's not uninteresting. And he's a little bit younger than a lot of these college guys too. I mean, my guy was Nick Sergakis who is like super grindy McGrinderson. He's 23. So I'm guessing he was a senior sign. He might've even been a redshirt senior sign. Uh, He's probably, let me see what he's actually listed at. I'm curious. Because he is, he has like the Phil
2: Evans body. Uh, he was a senior sign with a transfer year mixed in. Okay,
1: he's 5'8", 175, which is actually probably close to accurate.
2: Okay. Um, see a third baseman
1: only, or? Second only, I think. Um, I didn't see him get to do a lot in the field. But he'll put on a show in BP. And I if mean... You, if you throw him anything waist-high up, he will just shit all over it. He like, played
2: third in college, in- and... Yeah. B.A. apparently was really high on his defense. So An Ohio State senior sign. Probably another one of Bauman's guys. Every one of – once in a while, one of these guys just, like, turns into Matt Carpenter. There's just, like, no way to predict it. I think it's more likely
1: he's, like, Danny Mono, but that's still –
2: Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, one out of, like, a hundred of these guys just, like – Actually, turns out to be good, but you can't predict it because they're all going to own the miners. So. Yeah,
1: he runs pretty well. Like I got him at like three eight five on a push bunt. Okay. Um, despite his physique, so he's maybe like he's like a fun one, I guess would be the way to put it.
2: And most of these guys play for you know six years and become minor league coaches. So. Sure. Yeah, or become college coaches or high school gym teachers or
1: so the starters i saw were all interesting on a prospect level uh gabriel Giannis, who was an overslot guy in 2014 harold gonzalez who i've written about before i saw him in kingsport last Your year my main man in yeah, my main man and mirandy gonzalez who's like a random velo pop-up guy that actually it was a little bit overblown by uh tom gamboa shockingly so he's not
2: actually sitting 97
1: (laughs) no no he sits like with the four seamer he sits like 93 95 that's still pretty good yeah and the two seamers like 91 to 93 now he's a guy that's been kicking around the system for a while he's only 20 though yeah i mean he's physically maxed out um he's like he's listed at 61160 it's a very square physique uh he's physically mature you're not going to get a lot more out of him. But again, he's sitting ninety-three, ninety-five now. You don't need much more than that. Uh And the curve is, like, it doesn't take much of a breaking ball to dominate this level. No. I mean, this no. is like...
2: Uh, as the aforementioned Luis Mateo.
1: Yeah. I'd <laughs>
2: probably write it up
1: as a... Uh, present day four... And dudes just have no chance against it.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's like, pretty aggressive for a short it season. It is, and it's yeah. not
1: very consistent. Like, even the ones he would hang or that would flatten out or that he'd stay up, they'd just swing through because the movement was tight and late for the most part. You know, he would he would get it up to 84 with hard 11-to-5 action. And, like, guys at that level just have no chance. Um, he threw it a ton, like, way too much because he has no change-up. The change-up's... Like, it's very very rough. Let's put it
2: that way. Do you know um, who? Do you know who this all sounds like? Who? How's a Robles at the same level?
1: Well, Robles was a little more. It's not an awful comp for like ultimate outcome either. No, it's um, not. He's got a little more fastball, and the breaking ball is much more advanced. Okay. Um, and Robles would at least flash a, like he's going to put up Robles like numbers at this level. And he's also 20, and I think Robles was 22. Uh-huh. And I don't know how much that matters. Given neither had a ton of physical projection at the time.
2: I feel like the Mets have popped a lot of these guys up. Yeah, trouble. this is
1: like what I say in the ten bags. Like this is just another polished, yeah. probably under a hundred thousand or around hundred thousand dollar IFA arm that's gonna probably turn into something. Like I think yeah. like it's a major league profile. It's it's maybe Hansel Robles. I, I don't think it's a starter long term. Because of the issues with the changeup and the you know it's a six foot one Dominican right-hander that doesn't have a ton of plane on his fastball, like it's cliche to just write him up as a reliever, but he's probably a reliever.
2: I mean, there is a reason it's cliche too.
1: Yeah. But I mean, he could be six six, one seventy and super projectable. I, I don't think that changeup's getting there. He threw three He had threw three pitches that I was sure were change-ups. They were 83, 86, and 88. Okay. And, that's, and, and that by tells the facts, you a lot.
2: You're, you're saying you were sure also kind of indicates that there was potential for other change-up like, pitches.
1: There was a 90 that I think was a two-seamer.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I know.
1: Otherwise, it. the fastball and the curve were pretty much in the same yeah. mellow band. It didn't look like the fastball or the curve, so those three. I mean, it looked like the fastball, which was part of the problem.
2: So. <laughs> it was a slower version of the yeah, fastball. Yeah, that's essentially
1: what it was. And he was slowing his arm down to do it. Oh, like, everything that this says, like, this is a 20 change up, he was doing.
2: I, um, I see a lot of these guys with low full bullpens. Sure. But,
1: you know, if it's a—this is a big ask, but if, he's, if he is more 95 to 97 in short bursts, and he threw—the last pitch of the night was 96 elevated to get out of a jam, so he still had it in the sixth inning. You know, probably 75, 80 pitches in. But I think in short bursts, he could be 95, 97. If you want to squint and throw a a plus curve, you know, if he's a seven fastball, six curveball guy. The delivery is fairly simple. It's just a quick stab and compact arm action.
2: It's got a shot to be an impact, well, uh, an impact uh, late inning reliever.
1: Sure, probably like a setup guy, but
2: yeah.
1: that's not nothing. That's no. pretty good. Uh, Harold Gonzalez is a little disappointing.
2: So you're down on Harold now.
1: I've seen him twice now, and he's gone 15— the first 15 innings, or 14 and two-thirds, he didn't give up a hit. He was perfect for eight and a third against Bluefield last year and had six and a third no-hit innings uh, against Connecticut, though I think in there he hit two guys and walked three guys. So he was not sharp. Um, The velocity was down from his first start a little bit. I had heard 89 to 94 is more like 88 to 90 which is consistent with what i saw from him in kingsport last year and he actually has filled out a bit which is good but also it's not a great sign the velocity is still 88 to 90 and he's still bleeding it in starts when it's like 84 to 86 at the end oh 86 to 88 sorry looking at my notes um it's still four off speed pitches Well, it was three last year. He's added a slow curve, which shows really well in warm-up tosses and not so much in games. It's probably a new thing and could be good for him, just to give a different look than the slider, which was shaky, though he flashed some good ones. Late, you know, the change-ups of the party piece. He's got a fader and a splitter. It just, you know, the command just wasn't quite there. He wasn't quite sharp enough, but he did enough to keep guys off balance and stay out of trouble for the most part. But again, it's just... It's tough with him. I mean, the same profile issues he had last year. You don't really see the fastball ramping up in short bursts because he's a tiny dude. Um, he's listed at six foot one sixty. He's still not six foot one sixty. He's probably like five eleven one fifty. Um,
2: most guys that are listed at six foot are not actually six foot.
1: Yeah, but it's one of those where it's like pitch mix, and he can throw anything in any count when he's going good. There's just not an obvious, like, fastball blank reliever profile. But he's fun. He'll probably make some starts in double A. I don't know what happens to him after that. And he still has a mini Pedro look going. He's got the wispy mustache. The big hair. He wears 45. He's tiny and fun.
2: But he's probably not going to be Major League Pedro.
1: Probably not. That seems like a fair shout to make. <laughs> Uh Giannis was a little disappointing. I kinda liked him as an overslot prep guy. You know, he's reportedly ninety one to ninety four and the fastball had some late life. Yeah, I'll get my exact notes up for him, but that's the one I he started the first game and they do all start to bleed together after a while. Yeah. So when I saw him he was eighty seven to ninety two, sit eighty nine to ninety one. There's some late arm side life there, but he didn't command it particularly well. Uh he was throwing a slider a lot, which it's one of those things where you see a start like that and you wonder if it's an organizational direction for that start Um, just to work on it
2: that is you know that happens
1: Um, and there was some glove side tilt there but he was hanging it too much or if the feel wasn't quite there it was kind of soft and short you know an okay change for that level it's some circle action it's just it's reliever mechanics there's some head jerk there's some effort you know, the arm path is inconsistent. He lost his relief, release point. It was just, you know, a little bit disappointing. But again, you sign a bunch of those guys for 350 and some of them just, you know, turn into A ball relievers. Yeah. And he could add some, like he's the, uh, he's like one of those guys, like broad shoulder, skinny waist and legs. So I think maybe if he adds some weight to his lower half and it's a little better balance and tightens up the, mechanics, but that never actually really happens for most of these guys, unfortunately. No. Once I'm listing off four or five things for guys in short season. But it'll be a much more interesting team in a couple of weeks. I'll have to get back out there and see them. I don't know when that's going to be.
2: Yeah, I have to get... Uh, it's just... Brooklyn's just such a pain. Yeah, well, they don't come, come close for you, do they? Staten Island's the closest they come to yeah. and the annoying thing I mean the Staten Island ballpark is right next to the ferry which means it's on the opposite side from New Jersey Right, and that's just like a traffic nightmare um, I don't know I will probably end up picking some done and K starts and doing one shots as opposed to sitting on an entire series which I don't like to do but you know sometimes you have to I'm sure you'll get plenty of notice, so Um Yeah. Um I also um never applied for credentials at either of those parks, so I don't know what that process is going to be like, but usually we can get in places. So,
1: so you wanna talk about Roman Reigns pissing hot before we sign off?
2: Yeah, because this kind of, you know, we've talked about it. You could turn
1: this into a baseball story because it's PED. A little well, bit. All right, sure. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, we've we've brought it up, you know, in the UFC context a couple of times. We um, don't actually know what he spiked for, right? I mean, it was PEDs. Well, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, don't,
1: I, don't, I can't name a dirt sheet, so.
2: Okay, so, yes, you can. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Can you explain that meme to me, by the way? As long as we're talking about wrestling.
2: It's just something on Twitter people okay. started saying. Is that
1: like, do you even lift bro? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, okay, that's what yeah. I kind of figured. But... Okay,
2: yeah. Um, I think it came out of, like, the PW only crew. I don't um, know what that is. Uh, Like, Dylan Waco and Biggs. Oh, okay, that's yeah, I it's... I know those
1: dudes. I go way um, back with Dylan Wakes.
2: Yes. Uh... Yeah, so... I mean, given that it was Roman Reigns and it was, like, literally one of the worst possible times for Roman Reigns to be suspended, my assumption is it was something pretty serious because they have – the WWE drug policy is not the tightest thing in the world and there's lots of ability for themselves to give out, Um, one of which was that they had Roman Reigns work two shows after he should have been suspended (laughs) to drop the title and then set up his return match a month later. No, no, they definitely didn't know until after – that, that was confirmed. Money in the by, bank. Uh, that was confirmed by uh, Big Dave. I know. Um, and also it was like the uh, – my suspicion is that they actually knew the week – like a week and a half before because that was when Ambrose suddenly got the push to that level. Like, Ambrose just goes from, like, a mid-card feud where he's 50-50 with Chris Jericho, and all, all of a sudden, a week before Money in the Bank, it's like, Ambrose is going to win the title. Ambrose is going to win the title. Ambrose is going to win the title.
1: And they do, they're not averse to leaking those things out, like.
2: No, I mean, the, the, um, the one everybody cites is the R-Truth one, which they held off for, like, a month and a half, uh, to build the, uh, Rock match, the, never-before-never-again tag-team match, which I think I was actually at. Yeah. Um, that was a weird match in retrospect. In retrospect, the fact that The ma- the, the Rock's first match back in, like, eight years was a tag-team match against The Miz and R-Truth. That's something. Um, anyway, yeah, so Roman Reigns uh, pisses hot, drops the title clean to Seth Rollins, they set up a return match a month later, and then announce the suspension the next day. Thirty-day suspension. <laughs> Thirty days. Sus- the thirty-day suspension, and he just <laughs> happens to get the thirty-day suspension in the month where there's thirty-five days in between. Paper shoots. Um, yeah. But I mean, uh, by the
1: same token, we're holding them to like sports-level standards when this isn't.
2: But at the same time, this is also the sector of the sports-slash-entertainment where the steroid abuse has been so bad that it's led to a bunch of people dying.
1: Sure. I mean, they should, I think, hold themselves to...
2: I mean, this... there's, this there's
1: There's no competitive balance issues here.
2: But the wellness policy exists because Congress was going to go after them because too many people were dying. Right. So it's not, you know, these... There's no competitive balance issue, but on some level there is, because Roman Reigns is being pushed in great part because of what he looks like and what his body looks
1: like. Yeah, but it's the hair.
2: (laughs) It's the hair in the face, but it's also, you know...
1: I mean, he's not Ryback. He wrestles in, like, a flak jacket.
2: No, and he wrestles in a flak jacket because his body's not exactly what they would love it to be.
1: Well, Vince McMahon specifically.
2: Yes, I mean, Vince McMahon once oiled up six-two-two forty 240 or higher bodybuilders with cute faces and long hair. Yeah. That's what Vince McMahon wants.
1: they um, so made the joke about uh if Josh Naylor had Jose Pujols' body, he would have gone first overall. If Ryback <laughs> had Roman Reigns' looks, <laughs> he'd just be, he like, champion for the next ten years.
2: He would have been Hulk Hogan, or he would have been pushed like Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Roman Reigns, in some ways, has been pushed by Hulk Hogan. So there's there's an aspect which is really shady in how they set this up. Like, Roman Reigns is suspended for a month and is going to be in a title match in a main event right upon his return. And I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the title back immediately, either. So, Um, how
1: are they, I don't... I haven't been watching the regular TV recently. They,
2: they... they apparently didn't mention it on SmackDown. It was not mentioned on Raw that that, that he was going to be suspended. They announced the suspension on the website. It was like Tuesday, wasn't it? Reigns put out a written apology on his Twitter, and yeah. then on SmackDown, he just wasn't there, and they didn't say why.
1: Curious to how they handled that going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean... And the vast majority of their audience, which already wants to kill Roman Reigns... Um, is going to know and is going to start... I mean, I'm assuming when Reigns comes back, he's going to get, like, steroids. Yeah, sure. uh, Yeah, like, this is not going to go well. Um, But there's also an aspect, like, they've been pushing him as, like, the next, like, hero to kids, guy that does the Make-A-Wish charity type events. I mean, that
1: never stopped them pushing Hulk Hogan.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but Hogan was never suspended for this. And Hogan... I mean, when when the Hogan steroid stuff came out, that really was pretty much the end of his run in WWF. Um, They fired Ultimate Warrior over this. Um, They fired Sid Sid Justice over this when they were trying to push him. (laughs) Sid
1: (laughs) Justice.
2: Yeah, I know. But this was in the period where they were trying to make Sid the new Hulk Hogan and they fired him over a failed steroid test. Yeah. How do you come back and make Roman Reigns the guy because of his theoretical appeal to young kids when he pissed hot two months after being crowned at wrestlemania
1: never underestimate vince mcmahon's stubbornness i guess
2: i i just i don't i i don't know and it's
1: so what would you what would you do at what is it night of champions No, it's payback? I I, I don't even know what the pay-per-views are
3: anymore.
2: There's no reason for him to be in this match. This match just could be Seth Rollins challenging Dean Ambrose in a rematch. There's, like, no reason for him to be in this match other than they want him in this match, which my assumption is that means he's going to win.
1: Right, I mean... I think in a perfect world... I don't know what they would have... I mean, Ideally, I guess you'd do the... Shield three-way at SummerSlam, but it didn't seem like that was even... In the cards, as you said before last week.
2: I think they're going on different... I think one of them is going on a different brand would be my assumption. Yeah. And that's another thing. How do they handle Roman Reigns in the draft now? Because the draft is going to be during a suspension period. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is Roman Reigns... Because Roman Reigns absolutely was going to be the number one overall pick in this fucking draft. Right. Right. Whoever was, whichever brand was getting Roman Reigns, which I think was Raw, was going to get the number one pick and was going to take Roman Reigns. Because have,
1: do they take Ambrose now because he's a champion and you want to have the champion on your show? I and mean, that's kind of got to be the.
2: But like, do you just have him like go un, unstated in the supplemental draft? at dot <laughs> com. Like, I it just it, and it's interesting because when I mean, the is problem like, is as
1: soon as like you said, as soon as you announce the Roman Reign pick, the steroid chants start there.
2: Yeah and. Other than- Where are they
1: doing like, the draft?
2: I think Detroit, but I'm not 100% sure. That's not a-
1: It's I a mean, major, it's a major, major market. market. sure. they are all kinds. It's kind. not, it's not, not Philly, like, it's, it's not Brooklyn, not, Brooklyn it's but it's a major but it's market. It's
2: not Des Moines or Iowa either. Yeah, yeah, No offense to any. Iowans. Iowans, so. yeah. Um. yeah, I just, I don't- It's very interesting. To me, given how soft their suspension policy is, and given how soft this wellness policy is, like, this is like the first star that's gotten suspended. Well, Orton like got popped a couple, yeah. Yeah,
1: got but that was hours. like,
2: they changed the policy to make it easier after that. To me, this must have been a pretty serious violation to have not had them cover it up. And in some ways, the fact that they didn't cover it up is... Laudatory? I guess. <laughs> I mean, should, we, re- should or, we really be, you know... I mean, uh, we,
1: I don't think either of us have particularly high standards for
2: you know, there's there's also the rumors that certain people on the roster have been given office jobs, so they're now employees and not eligible to be tested. <laughs> we yeah. know that's we know that's true for Paul Levesque. We don't know if that's true for anybody else.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. Again, not accusing Paul Levesque of being on steroids. I don't know. Um. But I also highly doubt that Joe Enoway is the only guy on the roster on steroids either. Um, he's just the one that got caught.
1: And it's I. If there's a testing process in place, there's probably a way to beat said testing process.
2: Yeah, I mean, as there are for most of these. Know when they're going to get tested and what they're going to get tested for. It's not like a, you know, it's not like the UFC testing process where they're outsourcing it to USADA and testing for everything and doing blood testing. I mean, they yeah. piss in a cup in regular intervals and know what they're being tested for. So, yeah. um. You know, Brock Lesnar is being tested, like, once, on average, once every three days by USADA, he has to give blood and piss, and they're liable to come at all hours. Like, they can come at 3 a.m., wake him up, and order him to
1: give samples. Wasn't, like, Mark Hunt taunting him on Twitter
2: recently about being, like, a drug cheat? Yes, that has come up in their, in the build to their fight. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's weird, and... I mean, this is like literally the equivalent of like Bryce Harper pissing hot and being suspended in like the middle of a pennant race. Um, and baseball has never really had that happen. And there has been insinuation about what would happen in that situation in baseball and whether baseball would be, um, upfront or football or basketball or any major sport. Um, because there is, there is incentive for leagues not to have Roman Reigns or the Roman Reigns equivalent end up being a steroid jeep. Anything else? I think I that wraps up our wrestling talk. I think that wraps up our wrestling talk. Next week, the G1 brackets are being announced. <laughs> but we'll be doing G1 bracketology with uh, special guest Brady. Um,
1: we will not be doing G1 bracketology. <laughs> So I think our guests next week are going to be Stuart and Brady talking New Japan. <laughs> I don't. Does Brady if, even if, Japan? if they're still listening to this, and I'm probably the only two that are, it will not be G1 bracketality next week. Sorry guys, <laughs>
2: that was that was a joke. Although G1 brackets are mm-hmm. Um, I guess at some point we'll probably talk about the Cruiserweight Classic. We probably actually will talk about.
1: That. We will probably talk about the Cruiserweight Classic because it's of interest to both of us. When does that actually start? I, I know think they're, they're like taping the, stuff now. The right? reason
2: I brought up the bracketology is they're doing like a bracketology special, I think, not this week, but next week. All right. And uh, it starts the week after. The first round has already been taped. Exactly the guys that you'd think would win. I'm trying win. to avoid spoilers, so. Yeah, I mean, the, it's not hard for me to do, so. The obvious job guys lost and, yeah. you know, um, the guys you've heard of pretty much all advanced. So we'll be covering the
1: WWE Cruiserweight Classic and maybe some actual Mets baseball next week on another edition for all you kids out there.